Hey guys, we're here this week, top fives and deep dives, got me, Justin, we've got Mike on the other end. Hey guys. This week we are going to deep dive into the TV show Terriers, the short-lived comedy drama crime series that aired on FX back in 2010. So... A little bit of background on the show. It was created by Ted Griffin. It aired from September 8th, 2010 to December 1st of that year. And it was sadly canceled on December 6th, just a few days after that first season ended. And sort of the main log line of the show, we'll say, is... It's about an ex-cop and a recovering alcoholic named Hank Dolworth, who's played by by uh, by Donald Logue. We don't exactly know how to say his name, but we th- is that that's how we think we we're, say it, right? We're Mike? going with Donald. I think it's somewhere between Donald and Donald, but as always with our mispronunciations, Donald, come on the podcast, solve the mystery once and for all. Please. So our good man, Donal, or Hank Dolworth, he partners with his best friend, who is a former thief named Britt Pollock, played by Michael Raymond James. Um, and they partner in an unlicensed private investigation business. And the series is set in Ocean Beach, San Diego. Um, and Dolworth... Yeah, I mean, that's 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 really all I'll say about it for now. Right, Mike? Yeah, I think, and we'll talk about it more, but it is, I think maybe here, is, it is comedy, but it's the format of the episodes is kind of somewhere between like an episodic, like Law and Order and a like one season mystery long whodunit sort of like True Detective. Yes. Yes. Um, and a little bit about those guys, by the way, while we're getting, we're going to get into the cast for a second. So Donal, he has had a little bit of an interesting career. Earlier in his career, he did the show Grounded for Life, which, Mike, I know you also were a fan of that show. Yes. Big, an un- totally underrated kind of transitional sitcom from the nineties to kind of a more diverse array that we have today where Hank and his, I mean, Hank (laughs) (laughs) and his wife were like kind of the cool young parents. And that was like an interesting angle and yeah, totally underrated funny show. Lasted for five seasons, right? Yes. Five seasons. And Oh, so underrated. It was, and I feel like you and me at least in our, like larger group of friends are definitely two of the only people I've heard talk about it over the years. And I know that it, it had a good amount of success back then, but I feel like it's been a little bit forgotten from that era. And it was, yeah, it was such a great show. And at the time, definitely a bit more progressive than some of the other stuff out, out there. Um, For sure. But he's, he was, he was sort of in a lot of stuff back then. He was in the Patriot. He was in Reindeer Games. 
He was in Runaway Bride. He was in Blade. He was in. He was in. He was in Jerry Maguire. Um, he was in that movie, The Tower of Steve, which was like kind of a an indie flick that was well received. Yes, yes, he was in that. Um, so he's he's been in some stuff, and he's in the more recent years. He's played smaller parts on some big shows like Sons of Anarchy, Vikings, um, Gotham. Well, Gotham, actually, he doesn't play a small character. He's been in that for like 100, I think 100 episodes at this point. Um, Or that show, I think it, did it end? I think, yeah, Gotham ended, I think, in 2019. Unless there's just a new season coming. I don't watch the show, so I'm not totally familiar. But he plays a big character in that show. Um, so bottom line, he, he's, he's had a pretty good career so far, but I think one of his proudest moments based on interviews with him is definitely Terriers. For sure. Um, And I think you could probably say that about everybody we're going to talk about. Almost everybody looks at this show. Like it's like a, the grail of like the, just mixture of people and, and the time, you know, filming on scene and just the, the whole thing coming together that unfortunately ended too soon absolutely agree and i know and i know michael raymond james would say that for sure um and just a few things he's been in he he was in once upon a time the tv series he was in true blood and honestly he's he's been in a handful of things but those are probably the two biggest things he played a really bit part in billions recently um and he's in black snake mode i mean how could i forget how could i forget well it's hard to say because he's such a dick in black snake mode i know it hurts worst character in the entire movie but oh doesn't it hurt so much it really does i'm glad we're gonna be able to you know praise him for the next several hours me too me too uh go listen to our podcast on black snake moan if you'd like to hear us talk about him in a negative light so the rest of the main cast, we've got Laura Allen playing Katie Nichols, who is Britt's girlfriend. We have Kimberly Quinn playing Gretchen Dolworth, who's Hank's ex-wife. Then we have Jamie Denbo as Maggie Lefferts, who's their attorney and sort of part-time employer. And then rounding out sort of the main players, we have Rockman Dunbar as Detective Mark Gustafson, who's Hank's former partner and we'll, we'll say friend to an extent, but uh, Rockman, I have, we just have to give a little special shout out to Rockman. Cause I mean, he's, he's, he's sort of a legend in his own right. He was the one and only C note on prison break. And he's had a couple good roles over the years. He was in kiss, kiss, bang, bang. He played a, a role in Sons of Anarchy. He played a really solid role on the TV show The Path that was on Hulu. He is a big character in the the show 911 that's currently still on the air. Um, the Mentalist. He's He's been in some stuff. He's the fucking man. And we had to give a nice little shout out to Rockman Dunbar. And first team, all greatest names. Rockman Dunbar. Makes me sad that my name's not that every Same. time I read it. Same. 
And it's like, we already had Donal. And then Rockman just comes in and steals the show. God damn it. So that's our, those are our main players. We've got some, you know, we've got some recurring cast as well. I'll just throw a couple of them out there. Just a couple of the bigger ones. We have, we have Jason Adler, who is Gretchen's fiance. That's played. He's, he's played by Lauren Dean. Then we have Stephanie Dolworth. They call her just Steph in the show. That's Hank's sister. And she's played by Karina Logue, which Who's Hank's sister? Exactly. In real life. So Karina and Donal, real life siblings. And they actually have appeared once before as real as siblings in another show, which was in Sons of Anarchy. Fun fact. Um first of many. Yes. Then we've got, I mean, I guess the rest we can sort of maybe say as they come up in the episodes. Yeah. doesn't really make sense to give them up now, but those are two of the bigger recurring players that I wanted to shout out. So anyway, we've got that for our cast. Ted Griffin, I had mentioned, he's the creator. Showrunner, we have Sean Ryan, who he did The Shield. Um, he's a He's like pretty big. Um for that realm. And that was definitely his biggest credit though, was the shield. And for writers, I'm just going to knock these out. Actually, you know what? I'm going to save these for each episode. I'll give you the writer with each episode and I'll give you the director with each episode. Cause we got some fun ones. Um, the composer for terriers was Robert Duncan. He does the opening theme called gunfight epiphany that plays during the credits. Um, and that's a nice little intro. And now I'm going to bring you to the pilot. We have episode one pilot. It's directed by Craig Brewer, who also directed Black Snake Moan. God damn it. Two Black Snake Moan references already. Unbelievable. This is my type of podcast. Unbelievable. And we'll give him some shout. He also, he also directed Hustle and Flow. And this one is written by the man himself, Ted Griffin, aired on September 8th, 2010, and it had 1.61 million viewers. Mike, you want to take it away? Sure. Yeah. So we are going to do a kind of quick summary of every episode as we go through it. Not an exhaustive summary, but just to kind of ground the discussion. Uh, Hopefully you've seen the show by now. If not, uh, you will hopefully go watch it once we're done. But anyway, here's so the first the pilot. We meet the guys who I will call either the guys or the boys, depending on how I'm feeling. Uh, they're on their first case, which is to steal an English bulldog named Winston. Big shout out, Winston. Uh, so they, they steal him, and that's just kind of like the opening. And then we get into kind of the main case that's going to drive us throughout the entire show. So... Uh, Hank picks up his butt old drinking buddy from jail, Mickey Gosney, who tells him that his daughter, Eleanor, is missing. Uh, they find out she's working for this developer, Robert Lindis, who offers them 20000 which is then 30000 Other times they say it's like forty. So anyway, it doesn't matter. Some sum of money to you know find her and then also return the kind of secret, private, personal item. Uh, meanwhile... Uh, Hank's ex-wife, Gretch, 
put their old house up for sale and he uses the money from that to make a down payment on the house, which he can't afford. Um, they find a body with, with Eleanor's phone. Um, then Eleanor kind of finds them. Uh, they find that, that what uh, Mr. Lindis, who is uh, what he was looking for, which is a, it turns out to be a sex tape, which I thought would be a sex tape. But then at the end of the sex tape, uh, he's making this kind of shady call about this development, Montague Estates. Um, so they, they're trying to figure out what, what that whole thing is about. Basically, given the body that they found, which turned out to be Eleanor's boyfriend in this video, that's kind of something shady going on with the development. They, they put Allie on a train, get her out of there. Um, Hank, meanwhile, tells his old partner there, Mark Gustafson, um, that Ellie's innocent. They put her on a train. Don't worry about her. Really, you should worry about this Lindis guy. Some shady shit's going on. You should search his house. Uh, next thing we know, Mickey shows up dead of a heroin overdose. Again, Hank tells Mark, yo, this is bullshit. He doesn't do heroin. I'm telling you, this guy Lindis is like doing some fucked up shit. And uh, so anyway, they go back to meet with Lindis. They collect the money. They return the the sort of sex tape as the sensitive item get their reward uh but then hank basically says i know you killed my friend and i'm gonna destroy you uh so they plant uh, a gun in lindis's house and mark having listened to hank searches the house finds the gun and arrests him and that's that's episode one sets up basically the, the case that's going to take us through the entire show oh baby I should mention Robert Lindis is played by Christopher Cousins, Ted Beneke for Breaking Bad. So we don't we are, like this guy. Yeah, we already hated this guy. Sorry, guy. We don't like you at all. I don't think we'll uh, ever be yeah. able to like this guy. Sorry. It doesn't help. The rest of the show doesn't help. Let's be honest. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't make it. Yeah. The characters that we have preconceived notions of, we maintain them throughout the show. I'm just going to say that. Yes. But what, what are your thoughts on episode one? I th- I think it's a great little opening to the show. I mean, look, I, I when I watched it, I didn't think, holy shit, I understand why this has become sort of a cult classic. But I thought, oh, you know, this is a fun show. Like, I'm intrigued. I'll watch. It seems fun. I'm wondering if it's going to hook me even more. But I was definitely intrigued. I think it does a really good job at opening up the story and getting you intrigued where they will go from there. Yeah, agreed. There's a lot of like, uh, there's a lot to like about how they set everything up. Um, you know, that, that opening case that I mentioned with Winston, the dog is not critical to the plot. It's just, it's a, it's within the first two minutes, they're able to kind of set up a, a real like funny, like partnership relationship between Michael Raymond James and Donal, which seems like very natural and also that they're like really small time guys that are kind of in over their heads. So the character development in this episode is clever. Um, I would say the one thing that's maybe disappointing about this episode for me, which is not necessarily fair to discuss at this point, is that this sets up a plot that's not really taken on at all in the next episode. So it gets you there. But then like once you turn on episode two, you're like, well, hang on a second. What's going on here? So that, I didn't love that, but that's... Agreed. Yeah. 
And I've, I've said this to you, but the other thing I don't love about this episode is that it does set up that like, you know, they just steal a dog. Then Hank like illegally uses like some old police tactics to get her cell phone traced. Then they like steal a gun and like a cell phone. No, they, they steal the cell phone. They get the gun later from this crime scene and they don't report it. It's a, it, it's very much like they're doing all this stuff that's not great. And that's that's part of their character, that they bend the rules, break the rules, let's say even. And it's always kind of fine, which is like it gets a little bit frustrating at times in the show. But maybe that's that's nitpicking a little bit. Yeah, I'd say it didn't quite get me in this episode, but there, there are a couple points where I was like, all right, that was a little, that was a little overboard. Like that was, that was a little over the line that they could do that. And obviously some of their leeway is because of the fact that Hank sort of has that in with the police department, but it's like, obviously we all have our own set of morals and, and ethics and, I think that there's step a little bit over most people's lines a good handful of the time, especially in the first like four or five apps. For sure. For sure. But also Michael Raymond James has some great fucking one-liners in this episode, which really like sets up his humor that I love. Mm-hmm. Like one, one is so in the beginning, right? They steal the dog and basically instead of getting paid for this, he's just getting free dry cleaning. And then he just goes, come on, what else are we going to do today? Cure cancer? (laughs) And then also later, you know, they were speculating like right away when Lindis offers them money for this like sensitive item, they were just like speculating that it was a sex tape. And and then they're looking at the phone later and Donal like finds the sex tape and like Michael Raven, James just walk over and goes, holy shit, that's the sex tape. (laughs) It's just the delivery is so good. Oh. But yeah, their their humor and their like relationship is is it's really like natural. It's not forced on you at all in like a sort of typical buddy cop type of show or movie. So that part is is uh it's both funny and it's it's really well done. And that actually comes from the fact that they actually lived together through filming. Isn't that right, Mike? That's right. They lived yeah together in Ocean Beach. Uh, everything was filmed there in San Diego um, for this show. Though it is interesting that like you kind of think, okay, they're living together. They're living on the beach. Like, well, let's put it this way: if it was me and you, it'd be you know a bit of a party house, I would yes. say. But actually, they just spent all their time like doing long days on set and then running lines and then essentially got a reputation for like anyone that played a minor character or just like came in at a different time, they basically were like sort of the captains of the cast, if you want to say it like that. And they were like, no, this is a fucking serious show. And we like do things the best that we can. Like you better bring your a game. Legend. Which, you know, they don't, they don't strike me as hard asses, but I appreciate their commitment. Me too. And I can say I very recently after having watched the show, in the past couple of weeks, I actually went down to Ocean Beach. And the man's committed to the podcast. I'm very committed. And I went down to Ocean Beach, spent a little time there. 
they do a they do a pretty good portrayal on the show. Obviously, you don't see it's it's definitely a beach town down there, and you don't always get that. It, I feel like it makes it look a little bigger than it actually is in the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, some of the type of characters that you run into down there, they definitely they definitely cover well in the show, and. I'll say it later again, but in one of the episodes down the line, episode number nine, they actually go to this spot, Hodad's, that's a pretty popular burger joint in Ocean Beach. And your boy here ate at Hodad's and it was it was fantastic. Was it really? It really was. Well, and the okay, funniest now, now part, that you said that, I know where Hodad's is. I know yeah. exactly the episode you're talking about. Yeah. And this is the even funnier part is... My girlfriend, Alex, she is the one who found this place. And she was like, oh, like, we have to go to this place. I think one of our friends told us that we had to go and she had, like, written it down or something. But I had totally forgotten that it had been in one of the episodes. And then I had it. And I kept being like, why does this ring such a bell? And and it's a popular thing there. It's one of the, like, really popular spots in Ocean Beach. It's just like a walk up. You order and, you know, obviously during non-COVID times, you can eat inside, but it is just a walk up to the window, you order, and then you get your stuff. And it's a long line down the street. And I was like, well, why is it so familiar? And I was I was going back through the episodes and, you know, getting ready for the podcast today. And I was like, holy shit, they go to Hodad's Interiors. Blew my mind. And, and there's a long line, like out the door around the corner. Yes. In the episode. Yes. Wow. I didn't know this till right now. God damn it. <laughs> I saved it. I saved it for right now, now. Later on. Okay. So we've established here that there's going to be some sort of uh, development project that takes, that kind of is weaved through the entire plot of the show and we'll get there. But basically a theme starts to develop that, you know, the people that at least are local to ocean beach kind of love ocean beach sort of think it's a shithole but they love it for what it is and they don't want these like development projects to happen mm-hmm. is is ocean beach kind of a shithole or what's the deal there is that like how we say like connecticut kind of sucks when in reality it's awesome i think i get what they're getting at with saying that if that makes and sense. by the way no offense to ocean beach i'm just talking about the show yeah no offense honestly i've been told i haven't spent too much time in san diego but from multiple friends that either live down there or spend a good amount of time down there, almost all of them universally tell me that Ocean Beach is their favorite area to spend time in. Okay. Um, it's sort of considered down there. So Pacific Beach is sort of the party, the party beach. That's where kids usually move after college or even during college. And it's all bars on the beach, people getting fucked up. It's, it's a party. Ocean Beach is like its older brother. There's still bars on like right near on the beach, but it's a little bit older skewed. It's like we're talking, you know, later 20s, 30s. It's a little bit more sort of like, I'd say hippie central. Like there's a lot of interesting characters, whether it's like, I don't know. It's that's that's the way that it's been described to me before going, and I totally saw it when I was there. You just meet characters okay. from different walks of life, and it's a lot of just little like restaurants and whatnot, and then a few bars that sort of overlook the beach. But it's uh, 
I could see how it's like they're like, oh, it's our shithole. It it it's not a shithole, but it's a little bit. What would be the word? It's a little bit. It's it's a little rough around the edges. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but it's it's cool. It's a it's a cool little area, low key, and I could totally understand the way that they describe it in the show. So I think it is a little bit true to life how they how they talk about it. Maybe they act like it's a little worse than it actually is. But I'd say it's a it's a it's a fun area that's a little rough around the edges. Um Okay, so my last thing on this episode, which I didn't catch until the second time around, I'll tell you in general, I'm glad that I watched this twice because there's a lot more I picked up the second time, uh, including like little hints that would make sense only after you've seen it. But, you know, we meet Gustafson in this episode. Obviously, we meet everybody and he's, you know, he chews like the like the cigarette holders to like stop him from smoking or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and when Hank first sees him doing it, he goes, uh, you know, he like asks him and he tells him about the quitting smoking, blah, blah. And he goes like, oh, f- for a second there, I thought it was an affectation. And w- so one, like, it's funny how smart Hank is like throughout the show. Like he drops like all these things that are like, whoa, it doesn't seem like someone in his position would know that. But he's like mm-hmm. legit smart, which is something I appreciate. But two, I totally didn't know what affectation meant. So, so I looked it up and it literally just means like, like a mannerism that's like unnatural that you do to like impress others. And I, I realized that like his whole thing with like the, the cigarette holder in the mouth is like very almost like cliche in mm-hmm. a sense. And I realized that like they did it and then they just put that line in there to basically say like it is an affectation and we're just doing this because like that's what we want to do. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh my God, that's so great. But I, yeah, first time I didn't love the pilot, I'll be honest. And the second time, like knowing kind of where everything goes, um, I appreciated it a lot more. And and there's even some stuff that maybe I won't mention now, but like there's, there is more of a direction about where they want the show to go that maybe doesn't seem clear until episode sort of four or five that's revealed kind of secretly in this episode. Mm-hmm. So I've come, I, I've come, it's come around. I like this. I love it. And then before we get to those, though, we have to go through two and three. So we'll start with two. Two is called Dog and Pony. It's directed by Clark Johnson, and it's written by Sean Ryan and Jed Sedell. It uh, aired on September 15th, 2010. And unfortunately, the viewers almost cut in half and... There's about 822,000 viewers this week. Unfortunately, it'll continue to fall, but it pretty much steadies out around half a million viewers a week or so for the rest of the season. But yeah, this one has 822. Mike, take it away. Okay, so yeah, so last episode at the very end, right? So Gustafson came and arrested Lindis because they planted this gun on him. Um, Now he's in jail. And his assets are frozen, so the money that they got from him uh, unfortunately can't be used. So they need money because Hank needs to get this down payment on Gretchen's house, his old house, before he loses it. So what they do is they they look around in the police station and they get like a fugitive, like a wanted poster for this guy named Montel. 
So they, they hatch a plan to get this fugitive, who turns out is freakishly large and beats the shit out of them. Uh, they then um, find his half-brother, this guy Bradley, who filed a restraining order on him because they, they kind of pulled a job together, a robbery, and he didn't want to give his brother Montel half. So Bradley then shoots Montel. The boys kind of help him, and Montel basically tells them the whole story about the robbery, um, enabling them to set up Bradley, get him arrested, and collect uh, an even bigger reward uh, for that case, which was like a big robbery that's been in in the news. Um, also, at this t- like kind of in the background, Katie and Britt got a new dog. Uh, Britt is trying to show like a commitment to Katie, who expressed in the previous episode that she kind of wanted a baby. So he gets a dog. He's like, you know, I know this isn't a baby, but where you know it's something. Uh, unfortunately, they kind of hate the dog. So at the end of the episode, they. Uh, basically they don't turn Montel over. They kind of just like drop him off and pretend they don't know where he is. They give him the dog cause he seems to like it, which is great. Uh, and then later Katie and Britt get Winston back from the first episode, the dry cleaner lady can't have him at work. So she, she doesn't know what to do. So she gives them to Katie and Britt and they love him. Um, end of the episode, Gretch, uh, gives Hank kind of the chance to back out of buying the house um, especially since he can't afford it. And despite all the warnings from everybody, including his AA sponsor, uh, he goes through with it and he makes makes the firm commitment to buy the house. Amazing. This uh this step I I I think I like this episode more than a lot of people. But I will say when I first watched it. I was like, oh shit, all right. So this is gonna be a little bit of a of a um, you know, crime of the week type show. Yeah. More so than one thread throughout the season, which at first I was like, you know, if it stays on this course, probably not gonna be a show that I love that much. I just those shows don't do it for me. Um with that said, I thought this was sort of a silly fun crime of the week i thought montel was a was a funny character um but i totally can see i believe this is like the lowest rated of all the episodes on imdb and i can totally understand it just because it's 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 wacky which there are a lot of moments in the show that are wacky but it's almost for some people i can see it being a little too wacky and like all right like come on like we let's 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 do something a little closer to like episode one where it seemed fun funny at times, but also like we're going through a serious crime. So yeah, I thought it was a, a fine episode too, but nothing that's making me think, oh my god, this is a must-watch show. Yeah, and I think this is the only one, even though there's plenty of others that have that case of the week thing. There is usually a second storyline where they're advancing kind of the main narrative. This one, there's really none. Like it's totally 100% just this case of the week with two characters you'll never see again. I agree that I kind of like Montel. He's sort of hilarious, but like, yeah, the whole thing is just kind of goofy and it's funny. Like I don't hate it, but it is very much like you're watching like any one of these kind of case of the week shows on, you know, tnt or tbs or whatever that are you know they're fine but 
again, like you said, nothing to really write home about. And especially at this point, like in 2020 now, I know this aired in 2010 and it was starting to trend this way, but especially now with the amount of options we have, if I, if I see a show like that, typically I'm like, all right, I don't know. I don't know if there's any reason to keep watching this. Like there's just too many awesome shows that I want to see to devote my time to something that's going to be some, you know, sort of a case of the week. Some people love it because it's a, a bit more mindless. You can jump in wherever. I personally am more into the more the serial format where we're trying to figure out something all season long or even multiple seasons long. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a harmless episode. Definitely. I don't think how did them any favors getting any new viewers though. And yeah, you got anything else to say about it, Mike, or should we jump into yeah, three? I think, I think I'll just say that I do feel like this show could have functioned as either format. Uh, you and I prefer having the kind of longer whodunit narrative, mm-hmm. but I think it could have been funny even as just just sort of this episodic show. And if anything, it maybe just gets it confusing, and that's part of the reason why people didn't watch it because they don't know what it is. But I, I think it could have been both in, in some way or another, and it would have still been good. I agree. I agree. I mean, don't get me wrong. That case of the week stuff they get the viewers. I mean, look at law and order after all these years, it's just, they definitely have an audience. And I think terriers is the type of show that could have been that way, but I'm, I'm grateful that it doesn't turn out that way personally. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so we, we're going to bring you several top fives over the course of this episode. One of which would be some of our favorite quotes. So Justin, I need to ask you right now, is one of your quotes from this episode? Because I don't is, want to say I don't want to say it now. It is not. Okay, so there's two quotes that I love from this. One is at the very end, uh, which is just between Hank and Mark, which shows like kind of their funny like ex partner sort of thing, where um, you know Mark is talking about how like okay, so they need to recover this stolen money if they actually want to get a reward for it. And, and Hank just goes, I wasn't smirking. Just because I solved an outstanding case of yours within 24 hours of you telling me I wasn't a cop anymore, that gives me no reason to go. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one is with the, you know, Katie and Britt with the dog that they don't like. There's this one scene where Britt is going down on Katie and, and he just goes, so they just lick my balls. And she goes, don't look at me. I'm all the way up here. <laughs> It's just, it's just hilarious. <laughs> oh, that's such a good part. I love that. Also, I apologize if you can hear this in the background. This is me. Fake sponsor alert. Cracking open a fine can of Monster Energy Ultra. Wow. Who doesn't want to sponsor this show, but in case they ever wanted to. Goddamn, this shit is good. Well, you know what? I know Mike loves his monsters. But if you also, if there's, if there's one other company that I love that I'd ever want to sponsor this show. And you're going to hear me crack one when Mike starts talking about episode three in a few minutes. It's some wonderful Canada dry ginger ale. 
God damn, you love your ginger ale. I really do. I say right now, Justin's always loved ginger ale. And it's got to be Canada Dry. If it's Schweppes, get the Canada fuck out of here. Schweppes, adios, Schweppes. If it's a really bad day, I can accept Polar. But Schweppes could just Schweppes their way right out of here. Yes. When you get a Schweppes on a plane, is there anything worse? No, there isn't. Oh, God. I changed my drink order completely. Same. I'm like, just, just give me fucking water. <laughs> Schweppes, get out of here. Canada Dry, in case you ever want to do a team sponsorship with Monster. I mean, that's beverage is taken care of. That's called gold right there. I mean, it's a bunch of green right there. Monster's green. Canada Dry's green. Absolutely. It's incredible. a match made in heaven. Anyhow, Hit us up. Let's get into Episode three. three. Change partners. That's what it's called. I never want to change. I don't. I never want anyone but Mike to be my partner. But apparently, in this episode, there's something about changing partners. So, well, unless it's Canada Dry, they can they can be your partner. That's true. That's true. They can always be my partner. They're my lifelong partner. Um, so the episode's called Change Partners. It's directed by Guy Furland and written by Fief Sutton. I'm going with Fief. It's P H O E F. His, his actual first name is Robert. Robert Christopher Fief Sutton. Um, this episode aired on September 22nd, 2010, and it had 568,000 viewers. You want to take it away, Mike? Yeah. So uh, beginning of this episode, Hank has Brit lift Jason, who again is Gretchen's new fiance's wallet, so that Hank can run a background check on him. Uh, Brick gets pissed about this because he didn't know. Like He just thought it was some target. He didn't know that it was basically just doing it for personal reasons. Um, meanwhile, Hank can't get a loan since he doesn't have any money to buy this house. So he makes a deal with a bank manager. Well, I just heard the Canada Dry. <laughs> love it. Oh, God. Big shout out, Canada Dry. Um so yeah, he he makes a deal with a bank manager where he'll basically do a job for him, um, and if he's successful at that job, then he'll get the loan. The job is that he needs evidence of his wife cheating. Uh, pretty, you know, he says it himself. Hank does. That this is one of their specialties. Pretty classic PI work, I would say. Uh, so he goes out, and it looks like the wife isn't cheating. So he goes back to the bank and says, "Oh, good news, she's not cheating," and the guy is pissed. Eventually, it turns out that he wants her to be cheating, and she goes home every day telling him that he was she was cheating. He gets off on it, and he wanted evidence of it. So that kind of threw them for a loop, basically. Um, meanwhile, uh, so yeah, so Britt was kind of pissed at Hank earlier in the episode. He's sort of doing his own thing. He gets robbed in a kind of a holdup at their bar. Um, turns out that that was his ex-partner who basically just comes and tries to get him to do a job uh, with him. Britt doesn't want to do the job, eventually sets that guy up to get arrested. Um, the kind of end of that storyline is that the leverage he was using to try to get Britt to do the job was that he has a secret um, that he was going to tell Katie. So Britt gets him, Britt sets him up, but Hank convinces him to tell Katie the secret anyway, which is um, that Britt's last job as a criminal before he kind of gave that up to be a PI was that he had broken into Katie's apartment, then kind of found out like the bar she likes to go to. So they didn't actually meet by chance. 
Uh, instead, he actually kind of like sought her out. Um, meanwhile, Hank ends up fucking the wife, um, kind of rubs it in the guy's face. So gets the loan, which is good. But then the guy basically didn't realize kind of the pain that he was causing in his own marriage due to his, his kink and he commits suicide. Uh, the only other thing that happens in this episode is that Jason and Gretch realize that Hank is using Jason's credit card from when Britt lifted it and ask him to help, you know, find who's doing that. And so a bit of a crazy episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's even with it though. I mean, I mean, yeah, this is definitely more tonally consistent with the first episode than the second. Um, and I, I, I feel sort of similar, similarly to the second episode where I enjoy it. I think it's a, it does advance a little bit more of the plot than dog and pony to be fair, but it is a similar case of the week episode in a sense and and with a little bit of advancement otherwise but i still was not by any means convinced of any thing special about this show i thought it was an enjoyable show i really like the relationship of hank and brit their their humor their back and forth but i still i don't have much more to say than i did for dog and pony which is all right it's a fun show to watch. I'm not hooked yet. I like that we we learn about Brit's past as a criminal. That's helpful. True. Uh, there's a little drama between the boys, which is kind of interesting to see sort of how they how they handle that, and they they kind of just make up at the end. Like they have a a solid partnership, if we say. Mm-hmm. Um, the end of this episode, which is when Brit kind of confesses to Katie about you know breaking into her house and shit. I at the time it's kind of funny because basically her reaction is like that he should break in again and they're going to turn into like a sexual thing, which is kind of funny like in the moment. But I do think is foreshadowing to something that we'll talk about that I there's a missed opportunity to develop some of the female characters on the show. So watching it, especially the second time, you're like, oh, there's there, there was more here that could have happened. And instead, they just kind of turn it into a joke. Um, the only other thing I'll say the second time around, I'm not sure if you noticed this the first time, like if I'm just thick, but remember, so uh, Ray, who's the old partner, you know, he robs he robs the thing, he takes Britt's wallet, and then he shows up at Britt's house. And Britt goes, uh, you know, how did you find me so fast? And he gives him back the wallet and says, you know, how do you think? So it's pretty clear at that point, like, oh, well, he had the wallet, so obviously he's got his address, so he, you know, met him at the the house or whatever. Mm-hmm. But also, the second time around, you kind of realize that he also knows where the place is because they broke into it together, like, two years ago. Right. Which I didn't catch that all the first time. And they, like I said, the second time around, I noticed that in a few episodes, that'll bring up that it's like, it's just craftier than I gave it credit for the first time. Interesting. 
And let me just say, this episode, you mentioned to yourself that this one's kind of funny. This one is just chock full of hilarious quotes. So one of these is in my top five. I think I think it's time. Let's do the top five quotes now, and then I can give all the rest that are in this episode that are hilarious. Amazing, amazing. Top five funny lines or moments um, from the whole season. Yeah, from the whole season. So, do you want me to kick it off? Yeah. So my number five is actually from the pilot. Oh, okay. It is. I just, it it was truly the moment where I was like, okay, like this is a fun show. Like I'm on, I'm on board to see where it goes. And it's, it, you had already mentioned a little bit of it. It's a very, very, uh, last moment of like the intro before they hit the credit, the opening credits where they're at this, you know, this house and they end up stealing the dog Winston and as they're driving away, Hank is sort of inquiring about, you know, where the, what is, what, like, what are we getting for this even? And when he, when he hears it's about the dry cleaners dogs, he's like, you're dry and that they're going to get paid in dry cleaning. Besides the line that Mike said about from Brit, where he's like, you know, what, what else are we going to do today? Like cure cancer. But then when he's like, you're dry cleaners dog, what do you own that you could that could possibly need dry cleaning and it's just like Britt just has this grin on his face and it they're just sort of Hank's like fuck it like sort of laughs and it's just a hilarious intro to the show and so I just had to include it and later he takes Katie to a restaurant that they can't afford and we find out that he's paying for it by doing like all like the dry cleaning of like the tablecloths and stuff for the restaurant (laughs) it's so good my number five is very simple so it's from episode six obviously we'll talk about it more when we get there but basically maggie their attorney is like prepping them to be introduced to like some very important and potentially like rich clients and she like gives them this whole spiel and then brit just goes your boobs are huge (laughs) (laughs) oh it's so good yeah all right, what's your number four? My, <laughs> my number four is, okay, this is such a random, stupid line, honestly, but it stuck out to me so much so that I, like, remembered it long after seeing the show that I felt like it deserved to be thrown out here, even though really the line makes no sense and is so random, but it's in the seventh episode, Missing Persons, when the pretty much those the three guys the crew that are sort of the i think they're called like the squatters but it's like the the nerds in the sort of the rv that yeah do do stuff for them in a few of the episodes but they're playing halo 3 i believe and the line just it's like why are finnish people so good at halo 3 oh yes 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 (laughs) it's so random it just doesn't even fit but it's sort of hilarious because of that yeah so those guys yeah they appear in like four episodes and they're always just like doing outrageous like tech things and like making jokes but also just like talking about 
like philosophy. Like they just randomly talk about philosophers every time they're talking like yes. in the background. Yes. It's, uh, there's one later on where it's like maybe like the 10th episode where it's just like, I'm telling you, Hume was onto something with the Panopticon. <laughs> it's just, it's just, or it's maybe. Anyway, the point is I don't know. And that's the point. And it's, they're yeah, just great. they're great. I, again, if there were more seasons, I feel like they would have become agreed, bigger agreed. characters. Yeah. Um, uh, so my number five is, uh, I won't say really the whole, my number four, sorry, is from episode five. Um, but, uh, we'll get there. But again, basically Hank is, he's making this, this phone call. And as soon as he hangs up, Britt just goes, you've never been stoned in your life, have you? And he just goes, looking at me, you'd think yes. (laughs) (laughs) I also love that he doesn't say like, looking at me, you'd think yes, but no, like it just hangs like that. It's just a funny, funny delivery. Mm -hmm. That's, that is also on my list. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we'll get there. The that's such a good moment. Such a good moment. Uh, the, the whole the whole phone call is hilarious. Hilarious. Too. Definitely one of the parts that stuck out to me most when thinking back on on the show. Um, for like random funny moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my number three is in episode ten, Asunder, when Mister Burke who we'll introduce very, or we'll talk about very shortly. Um, He punches Hank in the face, which is getting back at him for earlier in the show when Hank had sucker punched him in an elevator. And initially when he like punches Hank in the face, Hank is like totally caught off guard by it and like stunned, but he like super quickly recovers and just looks at him with like a smirk. He's like, I hit you harder. And it's just such a Hank like moment. And it's also just in a sense gratifying because you, you knew that that was going to come back around, but Hank just handles it like such a boss that just another memorable scene for me. Yeah. I love that one too, because it like, it doesn't diminish any of the tension between the two of them. Like it's a funny Hank line, but you're like, Oh shit, this is not over. You know? Totally. Totally. So I my next two actually are from this episode, episode three. So my number three is he's following uh, he's following the wife. He hasn't yet discovered that she's not cheating or or why she's supposed to be cheating. And uh, she's in like the parking garage and he's just like walking by like randomly and she calls to him because her machine, uh, the parking like uh, machine won't take her bill or whatever. So he like gives her five bucks and they have like just a little chat. He doesn't like reveal what he's doing there, but he just goes, yeah, it's a uh, modern technology making man obsolete happened in my old job. And she goes, what did you do? And he goes, I was a microwave oven. <laughs> it's just, it's such a funny line that like has absolutely no consequence to the show whatsoever. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. It's almost like a, like a stand-up bit. Like, it's just a standalone, just a funny line. Amazing. Amazing. My number two is from episode three. Perhaps one of the lines that Mike was going to shout out. It's from episode three, Change Partners. And it is when Britt is sitting in the bar 
just before the robbery and the bartender offers him a drink. He goes, he goes, I promised my girl I want to drink hard liquor before 5 p.m. And then <laughs> he literally just counts down to 5 p.m. and just immediately drinks. And it's only like a few <laughs> seconds away. Yeah, it's like two seconds. Yeah. Uh, that's not mine. I'm so glad you did that. So mine is earlier in the episode where, so, okay, so yeah, so Britt lifts the wallet of Jason, brings it back to Hank, and then takes the wallet back. Uh, and then when he goes back in the second time, he sees Gretchen with Jason. So he knows that Hank sent him there basically under false pretenses, didn't tell him that it was actually, you know, he's doing this to just check up uh, on his, his ex-wife's new guy. So his way of fucking with Hank is that when he gets back in there, he's like, yeah, he just like starts talking about how big of a dick that Jason has. And, it's like, <laughs> and he like he's talking about it for like, I don't know, like 30 seconds and like making all these jokes. And then he just goes, we're not even talking about girth yet. You could screen a movie on that Python. <laughs> just, just, I just love the delivery. It was like, we're not even talking about girth yet. <laughs> like he just has his whole thing prepared. <laughs> oh, so good. Amazing. Wow. So what's your number one? My number one is your number four. Oh, right, right, right. When Hank wow. pretends to be the yes. random stoner. Yes. It is just so memorable to me. Like of Truman, every Truman. funny part. Say what? He's like, you know, I was just shrooming. Yeah. shrooming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so, so good. Uh, but yeah, just to refresh you guys, that one's in episode five, Manifest Destiny. So my number one is from episode seven. Uh, which is we've by that time we've met Steph, Hank's sister, and real sister to Donal. And it's the very beginning of the episode where, you know, now Steph is staying with Hank and they're just having dinner, like like just to open the episode. And she goes, So what are we gonna have tomorrow night? And Hank goes, I don't know, I was thinking maybe lobster thermidor, maybe some coca vine. Of course I'd have to skip out on the vine, because I think we've said this, but Hank is a recovering alcoholic. Uh, so she goes, well, you just have to have the cock then. And he goes, you kiss your mother with that mouth? And she just goes, not on the ass. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so, it's such a funny, like clever dialogue, but also just like really adds to their relationship in like a whole episode about, which is basically, you know, Hank trying to take care of her and her, you know, mental issues that we'll talk about. Um, but then also kind of projecting that onto other people in the episode. So it's one of those ones that's really funny, but also just adds to the whole the whole scene. Um, and yeah, number one. I love it. It's a good that is a good little top five in the in the middle of nowhere right there. Which, before I close out, here's some of the other quotes that we didn't talk about from this episode. So yeah, so we talked about, you know, how there's that little tiff between between the boys and uh Brit's like they're driving and Brit tells him to like pull over and he's like, I gotta go home and cancel my credit card. And Nick's like, You don't have a credit card. He's like, Then I gotta cancel my library card. <laughs> <laughs> and then later when they're scoping out um like the the wife, they're they're doing this like uh yeah, this whole this situation that we've talked about. And and uh, Britt starts like looking around in the car. And Hank's like, "What are you looking for?" And he's like, "Pee bottle." He's like, "Oh, dude, I threw that away." And he's like, "What? Why?" And Hank's like, "Why?" 
because it was a bottle full of piss in my car. (laughs) (laughs) So many good lines in this one. Love this episode. But again, really doesn't do that much to advance the plot. If anything, it just gives you kind of the background, which is good to know. But like, well, compared to the next episode, segue, it doesn't do that much to advance the plot. Oh, baby. What a segue. Episode four, Fuster Cluck, directed by Michael Offer, written by John Morley, aired on September 29th, 2010. And we had a slight bump from the last episode up to 649,000 viewers. So, uh, so again, so Lindis is in jail. His assets are still frozen. So uh, basically, Lindis's wife helps arrange a little deal with the boys. They need to go and break into uh, one of Lindis's offices, steal $250,000 from a safe. They'll get to keep... 100k um and they'll give him the name of mickey's killer uh, which is really kind of the whole revenge narrative that we've been on so far and then he presumably will use the 150k to to make bail uh they cut they agree to this and uh they meet with lindis briefly and lindis kind of tells them you know I know you guys are like, he basically says, you know, this whole thing is bigger than me. You know, you think this is just about this development, but like, I didn't kill Mickey. This is, it's not me. Um, well, we've talked about her a lot, but we meet Steph, uh, who's been secretly hiding in Hank's uh, attic this entire time. We know that she has some sort of unknown mental health issue, but she's kind of checked herself out of um, a hospital and is, has been staying with Hank. Um, there's actually been like from the very first episode, there's been these little moments where Hank thinks he's going senile. Um, but actually it's just been like Steph, like moving stuff in his house that he's noticed. But so she's been up there the entire show, but now she comes down and becomes a character. Um, Hank takes, uh, so Hank takes Mickey's like personal effects from the police station since Ellie's gone and basically there's, there's no one else. So he goes and picks up all the stuff brings it to his house. Um, we basically, you know, they, they do the, the robbery. They, they make, they get the money. They give the money um, that they were supposed to give over to uh, Lindis's wife. They get sent down a little bit of a, a rabbit hole, but they find out that the man in the tan suit, Burke, who has been seen with Lindis and will come to know more later, hired this guy to kill Mickey. So they're going to go after him. Uh, Lindis tries to escape in a plane, tries to like basically skip bail and the boys find out and kidnap him. Um, they are basically Lindis tries to escape from being kidnapped from them, gets hit by a car. They all kind of agree that he shouldn't go to a hospital because he's trying to skip bail. They bring him back to their house. Um, they get from him this, soil report which seems to have something to do with the whole montague development that they've been kind of alerted to some shady shit going on and then lynn just dies in their house not good not good at all shit has hit the fan it is a bit of a fuster cluck let's say it is indeed and this this episode is fucking great 
Great one. Step finally back to it feels good to be back on track. Yes. It's it steps it up into high gear and gets us back on track. This is the episode for me where I said, Okay, this this show's sweet. I'm I'm gonna ride this out for this whole season. And you know, I, I'm on for the ride now. I will say also though that this is another one where you're like all right, this guy's dead. Like they could have brought him to a hospital and they did it and now he's dead. Like, yeah, that's true. We like these guys, you know, obviously they're you know, they're meant to be these kind of rough around the edges characters that you like anyway. Uh, a bit like another Hank, Hank Moody, I would say. Hey yo. Um, hey yo, but basically, yeah, this guy dies. Though I did I, I mentioned it already, but I noticed specifically on my second watch through that he also says no hospitals. So I guess I can't totally blame them, but like, yeah, I mean, this guy's dead. So that's not, <laughs> that's not Schwartz. It's not Schwartz. No, it's not at all. But shit just got real. So that's, you know, like you said, now I'm in. And, and again, we're contributing more to the season long narrative. Um, so yeah, love this episode. Yeah. I think we just jump right into five because it's a continuation. Um, yes, let's do it. Five is called Manifest Destiny. It is directed by Ryan Johnson. Whoa. Craziness. The man that directed fucking, um, I mean. Knives Out. Knives Out. He directed The Last Jedi. Star Wars The Last Jedi. And Looper, Brick. I mean, it's crazy. There's also twice now where I've just blatantly ignored Star Wars in someone's credits. And and that's just what I'm going to do. This this fucking guy, let me tell you people. It's just unbelievable. He's got a hatred in his soul that he needs to let go of. I don't even hate Star Wars. I just like see it and just my mind is like, "Eh," and I just move on to something. Oh, <laughs> oh god. Can't wait for that deep dive eventually. Um It's written by Leslie Headland. Aired on October 6, 2010, and dips to 486,000 viewers. And Mike is going to, as is becoming custom, tell you guys what it's all about. Okay, so uh, end of the episode, after after Lynn just died, the last one, Gustafson did come by, um, and he now brings him to the police station. Because basically... You know, they kidnapped Lindis in front of his family. So his family went to the police and was like, yo, these guys kidnapped my fucking husband. So, you know, they take Brit and Hank into the police station. And, and Mark, like, he's basically saying, like, this shit's getting out of control. Like, you need to level with me or else I'm going to lose the case. And they, they basically need Mark's help, obviously. So they don't want to ha- that to happen. So Hank tells them, you know, everything about the robbery. And, you know, springing him from jail, essentially, obviously leaves out the murder, leaves out kind of the paper, the whole development thing. Um, But basically, yeah, he kind of levels with him as much as possible. They, the boys realize they need to get rid of Lindis's body um, so that they don't, you know, get charged for murder, uh, but also so that, you know, the case can progress and they don't lose Gustafson on the case. So they steal Lindis's car put his body in it and drive him down this ravine. Uh, unfortunately, no one finds his body for a while. Um, back to, again, so we find out that in the last episode that 
the man in the tan suit, Burke, is the one that kind of ordered the kill of Mickey. So they follow this Burke character, which leads them to the office of an attorney, Ben Zeitlin, played by Michael Gaston, better known as Gray Anderson from Jericho. Son of a bitch. Fucking son of a bitch. We're lucky that, you know, Ted Beneke is dead, but Gray is still here. (laughs) And we're not going to like this. Obviously. Big shout out Skeet just while we're here. Big shout Um, out. And big shout out to Jericho. Obviously, big uh, so many top fives, so many future episodes will involve Jericho. I can only imagine. So yeah, so they get to this office of Ben Zeitlin, who uh, basically says, you know, what's up with this soil report? Do you know where it is? And you know, will you give it to me? And they're like, no. And he's like, all right, well, and basically says, you know, I know, you know, Britt's girlfriend, your ex-wife, your sister, you know, threatens them with harm if if he doesn't uh, hand them over to the soil report. So Hank's not really sure what to do. He goes and talks to uh, Gretch and Jason who tell him that the soil report shows that the Montague development is full of uh, benzene, which causes cancer. So, you know, he has to turn this over to the media to make sure it doesn't happen or else, you know, people are going to die. But if he does that, then he knows that, Zeitlin will come after him. So he's not sure what to do. So they come up with this plan where they go back to Lindis's body in the ravine, put the report in his pocket, then phone in anonymously to 911 that they found his body so that the police come, they'll find the body. Um, the report gets leaked. The development gets shut down. Gustafson, you know, stays on the case because they're they're making progress there. And it seems like case closed until the very end of the episode. Steph, who we have found out, you know, went to MIT and is super smart, uh, tells Hank that the, the report has to be bullshit. You know, either, you know, they put the chemicals there or it's totally fake because there's no way that there could be, you know, that level of benzene with everything else in the report. So someone is faking it and basically shutting down the the development on purpose. So mystery not solved, case not closed. Another great episode. Yes. It's a great one-two punch, Fuster Cluck and Manifest Destiny. Um, And it gives you faith that you are going to get this ongoing mystery, which funny enough is a little bit, strewn off course the next handful of episodes but it still does enough to be like okay i am in let's go yeah and we're glad we're glad because you know in the beginning the first four episodes it seems like lindis is the bad guy you know we have the video of him something about this development we don't know what now we we kind of know this goes a lot deeper than him so he's dead you know we feel bad sorry but Actually, this thing is still going and it's going to get, it's going to just keep getting deeper. And I've actually heard Donal say kind of about this show, like he's described it as almost like a vortex where like in the beginning, the episodes are kind of dancing around the inside and then you start to get like sucked deeper and deeper, which is an apt analogy, though, unfortunately, we will take a break for the next few episodes, but this is where it starts to feel like. You get pulling it. You're getting pulled in mm-hmm. four and five. Definitely. Definitely. 
So then, uh, then we rock on to episode six, which is called Ring a Ding Ding. It's directed by Billy Gearhart, and it is written by Angela Kang, who is the current showrunner on The Walking Dead and who has been writing for them since the second season. And that show is, I, I don't even, they're far down the line now. They're somewhere, if they're not in the double digits, they're close on seasons. But So she's been there for a while. Um, and that episode aired October 13th, 2010. And it had 506,000 viewers. Uh, yeah, so for the, as I said earlier, for the next few episodes, there's kind of like two pl- two main storylines to each, one advancing the plot, one sort of case of the week. So the case of the week here is um, the guys are hired to find a ring, um, only to find out that the wife who actually hired them has the ring and really tracked the, had them track it down so that they could figure out who her husband was cheating with because the husband gave the ring to them originally. She got it back, but that this is the whole point. So they do that. Um, they reluctantly tell the wife the name of the person who he's having an affair with um, because he, she basically needs all this so that she can, uh, she's has cancer. So she wants to get her will in order, make sure that she can divorce this guy and have, you know, everything go to her kids instead of this loser who we hate um, on the sort of advancing the plot side. Um, basically everyone uh, attends the engagement party of Gretchen, Jason Britt can kind of tell that Katie wants to get married. He's feeling the pressure a little bit, but is, you know, tells Hank that he's going to do it and he wants to sort of progress the relationship. Unfortunately, Katie goes to karaoke with her friends uh, from vet school and she sleeps with the professor. So unsward. So unsward. And at the end of the episode, she tells Hank, and Hank says, "You know, you have to live with this. You can't fucking tell Brit. This is gonna like break his heart." Also, kind of not sure. Well, let's start there. I, I feel like this is like one of this is like you know what's the meaning of life. Like, you know, is there a God? Do you tell if your boy's been cheated on? I feel like these are the greatest questions in life, and I don't know the answer. Agreed, but I if I had to give my answer, I think you have to tell your boy. Oh, okay. All right. I mean, here's the thing. It's one of those things where it's really tough. I understand where Hank is coming from. He doesn't yeah. want him to be hurt. He knows that Katie loves him. And so long as this will never happen again, he's thinking in his head, bury it. You know, don't, don't, don't hurt him just because you're, you don't want to have to live with the guilt. And like almost saying like, you know, you deserve to live with the guilt. Yeah. Don't make him, have to feel that pain if you're going to stay with him to which there is I can I can understand it and I'm not saying every every situation is different and I can see how that could end up being 
the the route that someone goes depending on what the situation is. But I do think overall, I'd say the right thing is always to reveal the truth. And I didn't write this down, but I think you'll appreciate this. I realize now that there's a very, very similar situation with one Lila Garrity. And Tammy Taylor tells her the same thing. Jason's been hurt enough already. Wow. You know, don't tell him this to make yourself feel better. Like, you have to deal with it. Big shout out Friday Night Lights. If, wow. if that means nothing to you, then first of all, I don't know who you are. But second of all, we'll get there. <laughs> That's on. Um, yeah, see, this is what I'm saying. Multiple shows hand, deal with this sort of issue, this topic. And if I'm supposed to believe that Donal and Tammy Taylor are wrong, oh, then I don't want to be right. <laughs> God damn it, Mike. It's true. It's just like... But I know what you're saying. I would do it. It's tough. I, I feel like we've all had different life experiences, but but based on my own experiences, I feel like I've learned that it's always right to just tell the truth and... Yeah. Not hide anything because that always leads to issues down the road, which is exactly what happens with Brit and Katie, as we'll get to. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so that's the main the main storyline here. Overall, this episode doesn't make you feel good. The whole thing with the ring. I mean, she's dying. He cheated, even though she's dying. He has a kid with the girl he cheated on with it, you know. It's there's no good ending here. It's no. just shitty. It's it's a rough one, and yeah, it's not a, not an enjoyable episode. Not to say it's a bad episode. It's just yeah. it's not very enjoyable, and it's it's not as good to be fair as the last couple episodes for sure. And I feel like for me, I have a big. I like the storyline of her cheating. Like I like the tension that it creates throughout the rest of the season, but it just doesn't seem in her character at all. No. You know, episode one, she's talking about how she wants to have a kid. You know, now she even says that, like, she knows that Brit is, like, about to propose and that's what she wants. And they do try to give an explanation later on that we'll talk about, but I really don't feel like this makes sense with her character. Agreed. And I I think that they're reaching a little bit to try to create conflict because it seems like you know, it doesn't seem like she would do this. It absolutely doesn't. And it seems a bit extreme. Again, it's life. I understand it can happen. You go out drinking, you're a little down. Maybe, I mean, it can happen. It just doesn't seem like it's in her, within her character to do so when things are pretty good otherwise. So it was, uh, yeah, I'm with Mike. But it does happen, and that's how we're left off. And that leads us into episode seven, Missing Persons, which is directed by Michael Zinberg, written by Jed Jed Sedell, who had co-written an earlier episode. And it aired on October 20th, 2010, and had 444,000 viewers. Mike, let's, uh, let's tell the people all about this one and about its guest star. Okay, so again, two storylines here. The one that's kind of advancing the plot is that Steph, uh, she meets a little girl across the street. 
Um, they have fun like playing together. Basically, it's it's a little bit weird, but that's kind of part of it. So she meets this little girl. Steph is sweet. She has a good time. Um, only later in the episode to realize that that girl doesn't actually exist and that she's not dealing with her, her mental health condition as well as she feels like she is. Um, and at the end of the episode, she you know takes the decision to voluntarily check herself back into sort of an assisted, so not a full hospital, but like an assisted living sort of situation just to try to like get better um, before coming back uh, with Hank, which is uh, a storyline we'll talk more about. But the other, the case of the week is that um, the boys, you know, they're at their like local diner that they eat at, or I guess they never really eat there, but like they have coffee there all the time. <laughs> and there's a kid there with amnesia. Uh, Hank is like, he's, you know, he sees what's what's been happening with Steph and that she's starting to deteriorate. He remembers, you know, what it was like, you know, when she first came down with this, we don't really know what kind of condition she has, but he feels for this kid and wants to help him out. Uh, unfortunately, turns out that he kidnapped a girl that he was kind of crushing on. Uh, and then he's on the run. He breaks into that same girl's apartment takes her roommate hostage and Hank has to come in as basically the only person that's been his friend and kind of talk him down. Um, we, we think that, you know, the kid was, he was taking some medication for this trip, this malaria medication that kind of fucked with his head. So Hank is pretty convinced, you know, that it's not, he's not a bad kid. He just took this medication and it fucked him up and he did this stuff that's out of character. And by taking pity on him is able to, you know, talk him down, negotiate the situation and get everybody out of danger. That kid, however, we should mention is Noel Fisher, Mickey from Shameless. Incredible. Who, yeah, I won't say anything about in case you haven't seen Shameless, but great character. And that's, yeah, that's really the whole episode. Yeah. And I mean, although it is, Again, one of these sort of case of the weeks. I enjoyed it, I think, in a lot in part to the fact that it is Noel Fisher that plays the guest star. Um, The storyline with Steph, I was intrigued by it and I liked learning the end part, but it, it wasn't like my favorite side plot. You know, I thought it was all right. It's it was good in getting us to the place we needed to get to with her and learning a little bit more about her. Yeah, I'm I'm I feel happy that sort of at the end they gave her kind of this this graceful exit and she makes this, you know, difficult decision to like recognize that she has an issue and seek help, which is you know, it's about as as yeah, I guess graceful is the word as it could be and it's just a good a good thing to show, I think, on TV. Um especially you know, in a, in a time where yes, it's only ten years ago, but certainly mental health wasn't something that was discussed about as much as it is now. So I do appreciate um, them kind of t- wrapping up that storyline in a neat sort of tidy way. Mm-hmm. I I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. Should we go to F eight? Uh, I have one quick quote that I didn't include, which is also hilarious. Also from the beginning of the episode. So Steph has kind of some quirky behavior um, and Hank mentions to Brit that she uh, made a paper mache Mont Saint Michel out of all the toilet paper. 
And Britt goes, how's that? Wiping your ass with a cathedral. And Hank just goes, it's an ecclesiastical delight. <laughs> just hilarious banter. Oh my God. So good. The banter's great. It's just so good in this show. It really is. Um, anywho, that Let's rolls us it. right I, into episode I, eight, Agua Caliente, directed by John Dahl and written by Fief Sutton and John Worley. Aired on October 27, 2010 and had 465,000 viewers. Not a lot. No. All right. So, basically, uh, okay, so Brick gets kidnapped by the cartel, which, which is which, taking us a bit out left field. But basically, what we come to find out is that in episode three, uh, where his old partner Ray came back and he set him up, Ray actually didn't get arrested. Instead, he fled to Mexico and has subsequently been working with the cartel. Unfortunately, he has lost 80 grand worth of coke um, that the cartel owned, and it's now being kept in the police station. And, you know, he knows that Brit is like the best at, you know, B&E's and can get the coke back. Uh, so the cartel, you know, they kidnap Brit and they're going to have him do this job. And if he doesn't do it, then they're going to, you know, do something bad to Katie. So he says, fuck it, I'm going to do it. So the Brit and Ray, they kind of get the job done. Hank obviously is concerned that he's been kidnapped. And him and Gustafson, Gus coming in, they just go over the border and smuggle Brit back back over. So Gustafson's really coming around, in my opinion. And uh, basically, they unfortunately, it's because the person that was supposed to stop Katie from getting killed was also killed in this episode. They don't really know what's going to happen. So they rush back over the border. They smuggle Brit over. They break into the apartment. There's a cartel guy there um, with a gun. Hank sneaks in, attacks him, gets shot in the arm, and he's okay. And Gustafson uh, is able to shoot and kill the cartel guy. Yeah. Where are you on this episode? I liked it. I obviously like that Hank and Mark sort of team up, so to say, in this one. But it didn't grip me like a ton. Oh, okay. Because I'm the, I'm the opposite. I mean, this episode does the least for like advancing the plot of the remaining, but... I feel like it's there's a lot of tension and it's like a ton of action kind of throughout. I love that Gustafson is like in the beginning few episodes, he's really ragging on Hank for not being a cop. And like he even tells in episode two, he kind of pulls Brit aside and is like, you know, Hank is going to like let you down. You know, he, he doesn't really appreciate their whole operation. And here he just straight up goes to Mexico and starts smuggling people over the border. So <laughs> Big, big moment for Mark for me. Definitely. 
I think, I don't know. I just remember when I watched it, I wanted to like it more because of the fact that there's like a bunch of action and whatnot. But again, I'm just someone that's so focused on wanting to advance the plot that the fact that this didn't really do that at all. And it does obviously advance some of the character, some of the characters maybe in their relationships with each other. But it really, I, I just, I was just ready to get back to the plot. I'm like, all right, like I haven't really been satiated since like episode five. Right, like right, right. we're on episode eight. Like let's let's get back to this thing. That's my main gripe with this episode is the end where, like, you know, luckily Gustafson's able to call in some cops to like do a welfare a wellness well anyway a check on on Katie. And the cops go there and Katie doesn't say, hey, there's a cartel guy keeping me and this professor guy hostage in my house. And you're like, well, what the hell is her plan here? So she sends the cops away. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Her, ne- her next move is to like try to attack him with like some scissors. And it's like, well, there were cops here with guns. Like, what do you... <laughs> like and they weren't just so- going to kill you right there because then he would yeah. never gone away. Right. And the, like the professor was over there because it's like Katie left her phone at class. Um, and then the professor comes to the door and the cartel guy like sneaks up behind her and she's like, not even surprised. She's like, Oh, this is my professor. And it's just like, wait, what? It's, it's, it's really bizarre. And for me, like, I do like this episode a lot cause it's exciting, but this does sort of take away from it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, the next episode is probably the last episode before we get into the final run where they really yeah. get back on the train of, of the, the, the overall plot. But the next episode, episode nine, is called Pimp Daddy. And it's directed by Adam Arkin, who's an actor as well as a director. Uh, it's written by Sean Ryan and Kelly Wheeler aired on November 3rd, 2010, and it had a bit of a bump up from the last couple episodes, had 667,000 viewers. Okay, so Hank is, you know, he's laid up. He got shot at the end of the last episode. So Britt takes a case uh, by himself, which is actually to help Hank. Uh, They're basically trading uh, trading this case for Hank's physical therapy. So the case is that Britt... Um, goes to meet a like a waiter at what's the name of this place? Hodads. Hodads, uh, who is Cameron Monahan, also from Shameless. Unbelievable. Uh, another great Shameless cameo. Unbelievable. And if you know anything about Shameless, these two characters are, you know, they know each other. <laughs> uh, biblically, no, but seriously. So, uh, yeah. So Britt takes this case. Basically, what happened is Cameron Monaghan, you know, works at the very busy Hodets so that he can get enough money to, to go and procure the services of a hooker. And he does, and the hooker bounces. So, to be fair, he's he's cool about it. He's like, you know, can you get my $400 back or resumption of services paid for? He's still willing to bang the same hooker. So. <laughs> interesting uh i'll talk more about that in a second but 
Yeah, so Britt goes, he finds this hooker uh, who is uh, a, a trans woman named Michaela, who's very chill and gives him the 400. Um, but then also hires Britt to help find the real identity and, and the murder of um, one of her trans friends that, that was killed previously. And it seems like the police haven't really given much um, credit to. They are able to, they basically realize, oh, the reason no one's been able to figure out her identity is that, you know, they're looking for a young, a young man. So they're able to figure out who that was. Um, and they, you know, have an idea of who the killer is. The killer's already dead. So no real justice there. Um, but Britt then goes with Michaela to um, the kid's house to uh, comfort the family, basically saying, you know, uh, I, I knew him. He was a great kid. You know, you should be proud sort of thing. And uh, yeah, so that's pretty much that storyline. Besides that, Hank has finally kind of gotten a hit on this background search he's doing on Jason, which says that he was involved in a child molestation case uh, when he was a kid. Now, to be clear, it's his parents that were, uh, they weren't convicted, but they lost a civil suit. Um this kind of like running a daycare, molesting a bunch of kids sort of thing. Jason was like 15 at the time. So it's, he wasn't convicted or sued or anything like that, but it's unclear what he may or may not have done. He brings his information to Gretchen who says she already knew about it and he's innocent and just basically tells Hank to fuck off. Um, Brit, uh, yeah, I guess there's three storylines here because Brit also finds a pregnancy test um and he's pretty excited that katie might be pregnant hank warns katie obviously knowing about what happened and she tells hank that she doesn't know who the father is later on Britt proposes and she still says yes um okay there's a lot to talk about here so let's start with that let me just say this storyline again like the whole cheating thing so we're saying now that she didn't even use a condom, like she just didn't use any protection when she cheated with this random professor guy. I just, like really, really get the fuck out of here, right? You don't. She wouldn't do that. No. Who would do that? No, I don't buy it. I, I that's that to me is fucked up, and like they don't mention it here, but like that to me is fucked up. Same, and yeah, I just really don't buy it. I don't think that she would do that, and. The whole this whole plot line with her has just for me at this point uh, I'm not into it I'm not into it I, again I know it's part of it's because I don't want it to be happening but it's just I don't fully buy it it's conflict for the sake of conflict and it's like she's obviously acting really irritable and unpleasant and it's I don't like it I don't like it at all and, it, and unfortunately, the other storyline I also don't really like and also doesn't make a lot of sense. Like Jason, so Hank goes and speaks with one of the victims who basically says, you know, Jason didn't do anything to me, but he definitely knew about it and didn't do anything to stop it. Gretchen basically says this is all chill and like no one ever mentions this storyline again. And it's like, but like, wait, he was sort of like complicit in this 
whole like child molestation ring. This is like not cool. No, it's not fucking cool at all. Like they use they use it. I guess you know the the important thing here is that Hank is, you know, pushing his way into Gretchen's life when she obviously doesn't want him to, and that's fucked up. But like they don't do anything with this storyline for the rest of the show, and I yeah I think it really. It doesn't make a lot of sense to like push it in here and then act like it's maybe true and then be like, wait, no, it's not like I, I don't really get this. Yeah, it's a it's it is interesting. I mean, it's obviously there is a red herring to make us think he's like a bad guy and then he's not. Right. But it's it's just the whole thing is interesting how it's debunked, so to say, because it's not 100 percent debunked. It's like, OK, she told him like Jason had told her okay, maybe he wasn't, you know, he says he wasn't involved, but but there's still some people out there that say he was potentially involved. So to me, it's not that he definitely wasn't. It's sort of a weird, extreme thing to have that he maybe did and to not, like, have proof that he didn't. And either way, he was, like, around at the time. I don't know. The whole thing is fucking weird. It's It definitely threw me off yeah. a little bit, too. Exactly. And he was at least old enough where, like, it would be an issue and you would think, like, yeah, it doesn't. I mean, let's just say it doesn't ever come up again, and like that part of it is a little bit in the moment. Like during the episode, you're like, "Oh shit, this is it's done well," and you're like, "Oh, this is going to be like a big storyline," and then it just never is, which is mm-hmm. it's 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 weird. It is really weird. But I will say, so this episode is not in my top fives uh, because of the things that we just said, but it would be. If it was just based on the other storyline, which has some amazing characters in it, Q, I think it's time for our top five of non-main characters. Sweetie. Because several are here. So to be clear, the parameters of this top five are anyone that's not the boys. It can't be Hank and Britt, because obviously, you know, we know they're incredibly schwart. So we wanted to give some love to some of the other characters. Hit us with your number five. Okay. My number five is Michaela from this episode. Okay, wow. I mean, just a great she's just, the just a great character. Yeah, she's awesome. And it's like it it's um she's a memorable character. When you think about the show, you're like, what's who's a character that I remember that really was a was a plus to the show. And I think of Michaela. I mean, she's funny. She's got heart. It's she's sort of the full package. And yeah, in in real life, uh she's played by D well, her 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 name that she goes by is Shangela. I think that's how you say it. Shangela. I think Shangela. 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 And in, in the episode, she's credited as DJ Shangela, Shangela Pierce. She was born Darius Jeremy Pierce, hence the DJ. Um, but then on a couple of her pages now, it says that her name is Shangela Lakifa Wadley. Love that. Amazing. Um, but she is awesome and really one of the most memorable guest stars on the show 
she she's going to be in my top five, so I'll save a little bit. But I will just mention here that, you know, we mentioned about mental health, but talk about things that weren't as mainstream in 2010. And again, this is a case of the week thing. So there's no real reason to have her character in the show. So just kudos to, you know, the writers for making, you know, speaking a little bit about the struggles of trans people, creating such a great character and just doing the whole the whole issue that she's facing justice. They did a great job. And I love that. I love this whole storyline. Totally agree with everything you just said. Which my number five character is also part of that storyline. Ian from Shameless. Unbelievable. What I love about it is that his character is, I mean, he's only there for like probably two minutes of screen time, but not only is he like hilarious, he's such like a believable, like real, like even wholesome character. Like he's just a kid who's working in his ass at it like a local burger joint. A little bit ashamed that he's a virgin. He's just like, he's such a real character. You can relate to him. You really can. I dig it. I dig it. Both from the same episode. Unbelievable. Yes. Um... All right, my number four is my main man, Montel. Oh, wow. Montel's my honorable mention, number six. Amazing, amazing. So, yeah, he's played by Matthew Willig. And, I mean, I don't know if a lot of people would would have him in their top five, but I just thought he was such a funny, goofy, like, little, little character. I mean... He's just this fucking beast of a man. And I just found him very funny. The whole thing with them at him at like Brit and Katie's, the, how the, he loves the little dog. And it was yeah. just just a great little guest character. I, I very much enjoyed him and looked back fondly when I looked back at the show as a whole. Yeah, I, I love it at the end. It's just him and the dog and like the little like fortune teller lady. Yes, and they're just yes. like, basically like, they're just like, you know, don't commit any crimes. Like, <laughs> and, he makes, him like and he makes the promise to them about, yeah. <laughs> yeah what, it's what like, is if it? it is crimes, then it won't be with guns. Yes, or something like that. yes, yes. Like effectively, they're just like sending him off with like a pat on the butt. Just like, get out there, kids. Like, it's just hilarious. It's so good. Yeah, Montel's one of my two honorable mentions. So love that. What's your number four? My number four is Winston the dog. Oh my and god! Frankly, Winston the dog would be higher, but he's only in a few episodes. I'm honestly I mean, so sad I didn't make this pick myself. Amazing. He's such a great dog, and you know that because they just get rid of the other dog in favor of it. <laughs> they're like, we fucking hate this dog, and then they take Winston and love him so much, and then like later have like a tearful like who gets Winston once they like break up. Spoiler alert. And I kind of wish that he was around like the entire time, like and hung out with the boys as like their sidekick. Oh but it would have like added to the whole like buddy cop thing in like probably a negative way from the whole storyline. But love Winston the dog. Wow. Wow. Amazing. My number three is one of our bigger players. It's Katie. Oh, okay. Katie Nichols, played by Laura Allen. And, you know, I thought about not including her on in the list just because there are a bunch of guest stars I really liked. But the truth is, even though her character does get on my nerves a bit in the second half of the season with what happened, 
I love her character in the show. And I think she's the best female, the best female character on the show. I think there's a lot they can do with her if there, you know, had been a future to it. And I'm still rooting for her and Brit, you know, I, I really like her. I think she adds a lot to the show and felt like she deserved a spot in my top five. Yeah. Because of what you said about sort of the negative, I think she could have been my top five. I just feel like she's drastically underdeveloped. Sadly. She is. She is. I guess I'm putting her in there based on the potential I see for the character. Yeah, agreed. Uh, so my number three is Mark Gustafson. Amazing. He is... I just love that he goes from like... Well, like I said, he pulls Brit aside and basically says that Hank will disappoint him. To smuggling Brit from Mexico. To just straight up breaking Hank out of jail. Like, he just like becomes such a bro over the course of the show and just really realizes like how good these guys are and is willing to, he basically becomes part of the team and breaks the law as much as they do. Amazing. Amazing. All right. My number two is a bit of a cheat. I cheated a little bit. So my number two is three characters. It's Gunt, Blodgett and Swift. The three guys that always help them out in the van. That's my number seven, my second honorable mention. Wow, amazing. Love those guys. They're so great. And I, and again, I guess going off of Katie as my number three, I also put them up here a bit because of the potential I saw. I feel like in further seasons, they'd be like the greatest guests. You know, whenever they'd pop up, you'd be you'd be pumped up that they showed up. And I even felt that way towards the end of this season. I was already starting to get that feeling. You know, of course, they didn't get as much screen time as one would have hoped. The whole show didn't get as much screen time as I think anyone hoped. But these guys are great. Love them. They're right up there for me. Yeah, so many laughs. So many. they, They really add a lot to the show. Well, my number two is Michaela. Uh, yeah, she's, I don't know. She's just, she's the best. Amazing. I mean, she, she only ditched our buddy Ian, you know, because she realized that he didn't, he didn't know that she was trans and he, you know, she didn't want to, uh, you know, call, uh, like turn, like ruin his sort of first time experience basically mm-hmm. if, in case he wasn't expecting that. Um, and then, yeah, the whole storyline is her basically, you know, trying to do justice for her friend. And then even at the end, you know, she goes to visit the family, but knowing that her friend that she knew as Crystal left home because his family uh, at the time, I guess his name was Trevor, maybe. Anyway, his family didn't, uh, you know, wasn't accepting of him being gay, never mind even like broaching the subject of, of wanting to be a woman. He, instead of, go- I mean, she goes as basically this character, Michael, who, you know, I guess we assume is is kind of her sort of old self, if you want to say, um, specifically to not upset the family. And she never mentions that Trevor became Crystal or anything like that. And she makes a point of saying, like, he was a very good man. Like, she she really goes all out to kind of comfort this family 
And yeah, she's just the best. She's amazing. Amazing. And my number one, my friend, there was only one person it was ever going to be for me. And that is your number three, Detective Marcus Gustafson, Rockman Dunbar. Rockman. Rockman. I just love him. I mean, part of that is because it is Rockman Dunbar, who I love. But he's just such a great character. You actually get quite a bit on him throughout the show. There's quite a bit of development going from Hank's ex-partner, who clearly has a bone to pick with him and thinks he's a pain in his ass, to us realizing, you know, they are they. He does love them. They are friends, and then you realize what did happen between them. And by the finale, which we're going to get to shortly, we got good old Mark totally on the side of Hank and Britt because he breaks Hank out of prison. So he is awesome. Definitely my favorite character that's not one of the boys. Mike, I'm very curious. Who's number one? My number one is Steph. I knew it. I knew you were going to have her be your number one. I, you know, we've talked about how I really appreciate kind of the delicate, sweet way they deal with her mental health issues. But also, like, she brings a ton of laughs, like, for the time that she's there. And for someone that's basically a side character, she is so key to advancing the plot, like, several times throughout the show. Like, they really use her in such a clever way that that for me, she brings so much more than just her, her kind of on-screen time. Punches way above, let's say. Yeah. And for that, number one. And of course, that is actually Donald's sister. Just gets me. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, she's definitely would be one of my honorable mentions along with Adam. Adam Fisher, played by Noelle Fisher. Just because just because yes. it's Mickey from Shameless. Yes. Um, and well, we've, look, we've deviated a bit from the plot. But so is episode nine. But now we're at episode 10. And things are back on track. Yes. And now we're back on track through the ending of the show at episode 13. But it kicks off at 10, Asunder. It is directed by the one and only Ted Griffin. And it is written by Nicholas Griffin, his brother. Aired on November 10th, 2010 had 539,000 viewers. But right there with that combo, Ted Griffin and Nicholas Griffin, you know this is going to be a no-bullshit episode. You know you're getting the real deal coming up. So, Mike, you want to tell us about it? Yes, and it is the real deal. It's it's wedding day. So Britt and Katie go to the wedding. Hank, you know, after this whole child molester thing, is no longer invited. Nobody wants to have anything to do with him. He is doing everything he can to distract himself. You know, he's, he's a year and a half into his sobriety. And this is obviously a tough day for him. Um, he's kind of just hanging on by a thread. And Britt needs him to go to the wedding to drop off a shirt after getting some wine spilled on his shirt. So now Hank is at the wedding. Uh, you know, big, big issue here. He gets very close to almost breaking his sobriety. Uh, luckily, he does not. He then overhears in the bathroom our old unfriend, 
Ben Zylan. And he's, you know, he hears that Zylan's kind of up to some shit. So he finds out where he's staying, calls in the boys, the tech boys, and they bug his room um, to see what's going on, which is that he's meeting with a local reporter. Uh, in fact, he's actually just threatening the reporter who's been reporting on his shady development shit. Um, we find out that, you know, this other company he's working for is not only getting the Montague land that was faked to be full of benzene, but also all the all this land, sometimes forcefully, uh, around Ocean Beach for this project. Um, so Hank, you know, he sees that this girl's being threatened. He helps her escape and helps her mom escape. And then kind of says, hey, you know, we're clearly working on the same thing here. Let's uh, team up, basically. So helps her, puts her in the limo, helps her escape, and they're going to team up later on. Um, afterwards, Hank runs into Zeitlin, tells him he has, you know, everything recorded, all the threats that he made, and he needs to stay away from the reporter, Laura Ross, and, and him, or else this is going to go public. Um then we, I'll throw it in here because you already mentioned it. Burke punch, punches Hank in the face. Um, meanwhile, at the wedding, Katie is being kind of weird. Britt sort of confronts her about being pregnant. She says she's not pregnant, but then eventually admits that she is and tells Britt, you know, everything. It, it's whispered, so we don't really know, but presumably that she cheated and she doesn't know who, who the, the father of the baby is. And she says... Uh, she did it because Brit's not ready for, you know, the marriage baby thing. Which, so end of summary, but let's let's start there. Again, I don't really get this explanation. I don't like this. I don't like that in the beginning of the episode, Katie's not drinking because she's pregnant. And then by the end of the episode, she's just like, fuck it. I'll just start drinking. Like, I'm I'm not a doctor, but like. You assume she's not drinking in the beginning because she's pregnant, and then she just does it anyway. Like her her, her character is really going downhill here, and it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it it really doesn't. Like, why did I put her in my top five again? <laughs> the potential, the potential, the potential. It's all about We're the really potential. At the end of episode thirteen. But yeah, I mean, I don't know what the fuck is going on with her there, and I also feel like. Yeah, I mean, that whole storyline, great that it comes to a head. Obviously, don't like where it goes, but it's not that surprising where it goes. And I don't know. That that whole, I tire on that whole storyline, honestly. But love, love that it does come to a head. And it's, yeah, I'd say that the, ju- the meat of the episode is obviously what's going on in the hotel and very exciting. I, I, I love Hank up in the other room with the three guys. Yeah. You got Zeitlin and Laura Ross downstairs and, and Mr. Um, oh my God. Why, why is my name? Why am I missing his name for a second? Our good old uh, Mr. Oh, Burke. Burke. Yeah. Good old Mr. Burke. And yeah, it's a it's such a great episode. I mean, it's it hits all the notes for me. You see, you see Hank struggling at the beginning with his alcoholism, and you get tons of thrills throughout the episode. You get 
the Brit and Katie confrontation, unfortunately. And it's there. And it also doesn't, it isn't predictable. Like you would, you would obviously think that uh, Gretchen is going to see Hank there and it's going to be a whole thing. And that doesn't happen. So it's like, it's, it's just a great episode. Love this episode. Yeah. I think you pretty much nailed it there. This has a bit of everything, you know, we get, just a taste more about what's going on with this kind of shady development deal that we're going to find out more later. We've already talked about kind of the punch that kind of just keeps you right there, knowing that these guys are going to go kind of tete-a-tete for the rest of the season. <laughs> um, but yeah, this 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 episode has everything for me. Love this. Yeah. And then it leads into another great episode, Sins of the Past, episode 11, directed by Tucker Gates written by Tim Minear, aired on November 17th, 2010, bumped up a little bit to 725,000 viewers. And this one is told partly in flashbacks, which Mike is going to explain to you guys right now. Yeah. So in the sort of actual timeline of the show, um, Laura, Ross, and Hank, they are kind of teaming up a bit, but she actually, instead of bringing him more information about the case we know about, she brings him some information about an old case, um, which was involving like a serial rapist. Um, we flashback and we, we come to find out that, you know, this is when Hank is he's drinking a lot, which is effectively ending his marriage. The way he acts on this case, which we'll talk about, also contributes to ending his marriage. And also contributes to him getting kicked off the force. So this is kind of the crux of everything that's been going on. Um, so we're, we're flashing back three years. There's an incident. Um, the police actually bring in Britt, who Hank doesn't know, um, because he was kind of at the scene of this attempted rape, who again is from this kind of serial rapist. Uh, Hank quickly realizes that it's not Britt, um, and Britt doesn't really play much of a role in the, in the, in the rest of the episode, but Britt is the one that called the police because he kind of happened to be breaking into this place where um, our, our criminal serial rapist was going to be attacking this woman. So he actually kind of saves the day. Um, we realize it's not him, and then he kind of goes away. But Hank is thoroughly convinced that it's this super rich guy who has a history of getting away with stuff including some some shady things that happened with Gretchen. Um, this guy, Billy Whitman. So he's very convinced that it's him trying to take him down. He's drunk and a bit reckless and gets called in because somebody drove, uh, like pushed Billy off the road, planted a rape kit in his truck, and everyone assumes, because Hank is such a loose cannon, that it was him. Um, so... That's kind of the backstory of the case. Uh, now that we're back to present time, um, they bring in Billy Whitman again. They have this kind of interrogation um, based on this evidence that Laura has brought them. But in actuality, this whole thing that the evidence that she brought them, all of this is staged because the person that actually committed the rapes is Gustafson's current partner. Reynolds, so they kind of play him, Billy included. Um, they basically play him and get him to try to destroy evidence. They get it on tape, 
and arrest him uh, for the rapes. So, uh, yeah, so we, we figured out what happened, but there's kind of a heart to heart basically where, you know, Hank apologizes for the way he acted back then. Gustafson, you know, also is basically apologizing for accusing him and kind of getting him kicked off the force effectively, even though obviously his, his alcoholism is partially to blame um, as well. Such a great episode. It's like, yeah, so great. You get a look into his past. Probably the one thing we've been wondering. I mean, again, it's it, it's what led to multiple things deteriorating in his life that we're we've been wondering about. So it gives us pretty much most, if not all, of our answers about Hank's backstory. And all the while, tells a great, a great tale with this case. And we get twi- quite the twist at the end when it's you know, this, this detective and, um, yeah, it's, it's really, really good episode. I mean, what a back to back those two and then the two more to come also. It's it's a great ending run on this show. And I know Mike will agree with me in saying, I think these last four episodes is what got us and probably a lot of other viewers excited for, potentially more episodes because the quality of these last four are, are great. It's like, they're all just hundred quality. A hundred percent. And this is also another one that like, I only noticed the second time around, but you know, back when Hank is on the case and he's convinced that this guy, Billy Whitman did it, you know, they do a lineup of the, the woman that was almost raped and they're, Hank is like totally inappropriately trying to steer her as a witness towards Billy who's in the lineup. And she's like, no, I I think it might be two, uh, but I'm not sure. And two is Reynolds. And yeah, they give you that like halfway into the episode. And, you know, only on the second time around, do you realize the foreshadowing? Like again, maybe you come to think of it, but I totally missed it the first time around. I thought of it when it was revealed, but I, I was like, holy shit, that was so good. Like, yeah, we totally did not think that it was him. We were just like, oh, she just isn't going to remember. In fact, she was remembering all right. The, the other thing that really stands out, and I know you'll agree with me, is that Donal's just epic. You know, they give him this this flashback where he's like, basically just like he's drunk he's he's having relationship troubles he's having trouble with his partner he's like an obsessed like he has all this crazy character that he has to build and he just by far this is the episode that allows him to kind of flex let's say the most as an actor and Mm -hmm. he fucking nailed it yeah oh he flexes that muscle in this episode for sure and you know that leads us into the into the home stretch the penultimate episode, episode 12, Quid Pro Quo, directed again by Adam Arkin, who also had directed Pimp Daddy, and then written by Angela Kang and Leslie Headland. This one aired on November 24th, 2010, and it, it dips again to 542,000 viewers. Mike, what, what happens in this episode? Okay, so... Uh... Oh wait, I need. To, I I missed one thing that I should step back and put in now. Uh, 
we forgot to add that in episode um, 11, the one we just did, that at the very end, Brit finds this picture and he attacks and beats the shit out of Katie's classmate, thinking that that was the one that Katie slept with. Hank goes to visit him in jail and reveals that it was actually the professor and that Hank knew the whole time. Yes. Oh, yes. Sorry. Yes. We missed that. So anyhow. Leading us here, uh, Britt is in jail, basically, and Zeitlin shows up to kind of free him from jail, and they spark a little bit of a relationship. Um, and Zeitlin basically wants to use Britt to help track down the source that is feeding Laura in her investigation. Britt is still secretly working with Hank and Laura. Zeitlin doesn't know that. So Britt tells Zeitlin there's no disc. Then he um, goes and sleeps with this girl that he thinks is the source. And Hank is like, you know, when you do this, just try to tell her, to, you know, tell her without telling her, basically. So he warns this girl, Ashley, you know, hey, if you're the source, like, you know, don't do this because people are like after you. And she freaks out. Um and basically says, I mean, she reveals that she's not the source, but also she's aware of what's going on, meaning that like Zeitlin is kind of already on onto it. And the whole the source, the relationship that uh, will go she, Laura's convinced it's a she, um, has is, is kind of in danger. So uh, Laura... Um, uh, I should mention here also, sorry, that that uh, basically Laura has a tip um, in the meantime from this source um, about a new development where kind of the same thing is happening, where it seems like everything is going wrong and it's going to fail and Zeitlin's going to end up taking over um, in kind of a shady deal. The lead architect on that project is Jason, who, despite everything that's happened previously, wants to help them. Um, and he does help them, you know, explain this is what's going on. Then they, they find out basically that all of this is these deals are happening one way or another so that Zeitlin can build a big airport over Ocean Beach. Uh, then there's this whole Brit and Ashley thing. So Laura wants to meet with her source because all this is getting blown up. Knowing that the location is not safe, uh, Laura and Jason go to meet the source at a different place a liquor store. Um, the boys find out they go over there. And by the time they get over there, everyone is dead. So the real source is dead. Jason is dead. And Laura is not there. She is missing. So pretty shocking ending. Yes. I, I would compare this to uh, half measures, the penultimate episode, season three of breaking Bad. Wow. Also a Which shocking just- ending. Bodies in the streets, and we have one episode left to sort out this crazy fucking mess. Jason just being dead, fucking, I mean, that was shocking. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen him since he was a child molester, so <laughs> I don't know if we're Maybe sad, he was yeah. a child molester, and this yeah. was karma. It's very, it's very shocking. Though. Yes, and I mean, a hell of a way to set up the finale, which, of course, as we know, ends up being the series finale, but... Yeah, I mean, again, another great episode. You've had three great episodes in a row now, all just full-on plot. 
and this one doesn't disappoint and it leaves us off with i mean hank at the end of his wits and ready to take these motherfuckers down it's a piece yeah he's going for it this this one also closing out some things that we've said you know there's a they do meet this like councilman that turns out to be shady in this episode. It's not really necessary because he's only in this one app, but he says at one point, uh, you know, this is our town and we like it the way it is. Lousy. That's a quote, which is kind of what we were talking about before that. Like he has a few more like that about it being like our shithole sort of thing. So that's where that comes from. Not us. We totally. don't hate Ocean Beach. No, Ocean Beach and, is and awesome. another one. Another one that I didn't realize, like a clever foreshadowing and crafting this episode is once they find out about the airport, you know, they bring the evidence to the councilman and he's like, says that he's going to help, but he says, you guys better keep your heads down because there are going to be some bullets whizzing by. And then like 10 minutes later, there are <laughs> which is like a, a pretty big hint that he was going to be dirty the entire time. Yep. So kudos to the writers for that. Absolutely. And that leads us into our season end series finale, Hail Mary, episode 13, directed by Ted Griffin, written by Ted Griffin and his brother, Nicholas Griffin, aired on December 1st, 2010, and we got to bump up to 784,000 viewers, so the most since the second episode. Okay finale spend a little bit more time on this one because it closes out all the plot but uh basically we find out you know brit's looking at two years in prison because he beat the fuck out of this kid not cool uh the you know the tech team comes in and says that the house and truck are bugged which is probably what you know how the the killers who we don't know at this point but we obviously assume uh found out that they were going to the liquor store and how that whole thing happened um, the supposed killers are these two uh, like Mexican illegals who right away came forward and confessed to the murders, but says that Hank was the one that ordered them to do it. Luckily, our boy Gustafson, who is actually on administrative leave because, you know, Reynolds was arrested a few episodes ago. So it's like a standard operating procedure that they investigate him as a partner. He helps him escape, break out of the police car and escape from prison. So big up to Gustafson. Rockman, we love you. What a Schwartian. Um, so they're okay, so Britt tries to make up with Ashley and basically say, Hey, we found out our house was bugged, so your shit's probably bugged. You know, maybe we can figure this out. So she tells him that all she really knows about the, the whole thing is that. There was a meeting a little while back between Zeitlin, Lindis, and uh, some kind of unknown bigger boss, the brains behind this whole operation, that Ellie, from episode one, Eleanor Gosney, attended. Um, meanwhile, Laura posts an article that says, um, uh, basically says, according to an expert trained at MIT, this whole soil report thing is bullshit. And, and, you know, they're trying to get land illegally. Basically he knows that that's a tip that Laura is with Steph. So they go meet Steph. Um, 
you know, Laura is there. Um, she gives Hank and uh, Gustafson this kind of children's hospital, this Mexican children's hospital pamphlet. And for the, what she got from her source, she doesn't really know what that means. Um, but they take it to Ellie based on the information that Ashley gave the team. And Ellie confirms that the guy in the pamphlet is kind of the big boss behind the whole thing. And that Mickey knew him and had some shit on him. And that's the real reason why Mickey was killed. Luckily, Mickey kept that shit in his jacket, which Hank took home like eight episodes ago. So Hank, who's on the run, breaks into his own house, gets the shit that he had on him, which we find is some photos. Unfortunately, Burke is there and they get into a little scrap. And fortunately, boom, Hank kills Burke. Kind of just chokes him to death. So sorry, Mr. Burke, but big ups to Hank. Um, With kind of everything in play, the boys break into Zeitlin's boat, hold him at gunpoint and, you know, try to tell him, uh, try to figure out who the pamphlet guy is, who turns out to be this guy, Shaw, which is all we really know about him. Uh, he's played by Neil McDonough, who is a bad guy in everything. Especially justified. And Walking Tall, a movie that you and I were casually speaking about before we were recording. Yes. Um, so yeah, so he tells them about Cutshaw. Um, they go to meet Cutshaw and... Uh, basically, they show him the pictures, and we don't know what's in the pictures, but it's something something bad to do with kids. That's all we can really ascertain. Something so bad that they basically make an agreement, hey, we won't release these pictures if you kind of stop the airport, and he does. Um, very end of the episode, uh, again, Brit's looking at two years in jail, he meets with Katie and says, you know, throw out the paternity tests. Like, I want to be the dad of the baby. I want to be together with you uh, if you'll let me, you know, once I get out of prison. Um, Hank starts taking him to prison. They, you know, note that, hey, if they just turn here, they can instead go to Mexico and avoid prison altogether. And end of show. Wow. Now, let's start there. So for anyone that's wondering, yes, it's it's open, but it's basically been confirmed in many ways that they go straight and he goes to jail. So it's a bit of a cliffhanger, but we really know that he was going go to go to jail. So there wasn't a Mexico. Which totally is in line with the yeah. characters we've come to. Totally you know, learn a lot about over this season. And if they went to Mexico, it just, it just wouldn't feel right. So, but it, but it is, I feel like very in their character to sort of joke about it in a sense, because they want to keep it lighthearted between each other. Pretty clearly joking. They're like, Oh yeah. Like all of our problems would disappear. Like, you know, like the land of dreams sort of like, they're not seriously talking about it. No, no, they're not. And, you know, it's a, uh, it's a solid ending. I wish there obviously was more, but it's solid. I will say for me personally, I didn't love the finale as much as I love the three episodes before it. Yeah. And 
I do think that it was a solid wrapping up of the season. And, you know, you get a little intro to Cutshaw, to Neil, Neil McDonough's character. You obviously don't learn much about him, and you probably would have in subsequent seasons. But we don't, and that's not their fault. And... Yeah, I guess one thing that stood out to me from this episode, one critique, was the whole Brit and Kate thing where, you know, at the beginning of the episode, she sort of acts like, oh, you're a monster. I I could never be with you. And then sort of at the end of the episode, we get the idea that maybe, you know, she maybe she is open to it after all. And that yeah, to me, and, what, and, what a quick turnaround. Yeah. Sorry, what a quick turnaround. I mean, come on. Like the whole thing with Katie's character, again, a lot of potential in that character. I feel like they really squandered her and made her a little bit of a formulaic character this back half of the season to just fit their little plot line that they wanted to do with the whole cheating. And it's just, come on, it's... It's a little silly in this episode how quick this turnaround is. Yeah, and it's strange because in the previous episode, you know, we didn't talk about it because it's not a major thing, but she goes to see Gretch and basically is like, one, she admits that what Britt did is basically her fault. And two, you know, she basically says to Gretch, like, I came here because, like, you know, you had to deal with Hank. Like, when did you know that that situation was so fucked up that it was beyond repair? And she's like, well, she essentially says, hey, like, this is not the same situation. Hank is not Brit. Like, Brit's legit. You should, like, try to make it work. Mm -hmm. Then at the beginning of his episode, he's a monster. Then at the end, maybe it's okay. Yeah, that that was a bit too much jumping around for me. It's like there, all there had to be was one scene where right, right, right. she's open to it, but she's not 100% sure yet. And I will say I'm – go ahead, go ahead. No, because she's, you know, yeah, she's a little bit scared about how much he could hurt someone, but she loves him and, you know, she'll think about it rather than – And he's made a commitment to change throughout the entire show. Absolutely. and he's And he's mostly held to that. So, yeah, I thought that was a little bit much. Otherwise, I thought it was pretty good. It was, again, I'm just more sad that there's not more than actually having much more to critique about it. But I do want to drop a fun fact about the episode real quick. That the, the cap that Hank is wearing at the scene where they're at the dock is from Camacho's Place, which is a small restaurant in the Imperial Valley where Donal and Karina both grew up. So he's oh, he's shit. repping a local hat right there. Pretty dope. Love that. Um, you have any more thoughts on the finale, Mike? What do you think? Uh, well, I, 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 it's good that, well, I think we'll talk about it, but obviously the show was canceled, so there's not going to be a second season. But... It was canceled a few days after this episode, so they did get to finish their arc. It wasn't something that was kind of left hanging, which is always frustrating. But with that said, it does beg the question of what was going to happen in season two, because Brit is going to jail. So, like, was it going to be a few years in the future? Like, it's, we don't know. Like, it was, it's a crazy way to end a season 
if you were going to do something else. Totally. I'm very curious what their plan was. Very, very curious. And they, they've never really shared that. No, and it's, you know, there has been hints at potentially coming back someday. So fingers crossed, but I assume that's why they haven't shared it. Yeah, and and again, it's there's been some talk of it over the years multiple times, a couple times where people really thought it was going to happen, whether as, you know, another season or even, I think as even as a movie, right? Yeah. And yeah. it's... I want to say the last time it really was brought up was it was it a couple of years ago I think. Uh yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah I think it was a couple of years ago it was brought up by I want to say Sean Ryan. I know he's been a big proponent of trying to get it to continue in some form. And it, it, it hasn't totally come up seriously since then, but maybe there's rumblings now that it's caught a little steam being on a lot of these, you know, some of these streaming platforms like Hulu, which we watched it on. Maybe if enough of us watch it, we'll get a little Could bit more. Be. I know the actors all want to do it. So, and yeah, so maybe I'll add something here. Then we can talk more about the cancellation, but. Having now gone through the show, we can confirm there's absolutely no reason why it's named Terriers. There was never a Terrier. There was Winston the dog. He was a bulldog. He was not a Terrier. Uh, So the the story that, as it goes, about the name is effectively Ted Griffin had been listening to the song Hey Bulldog by the Beatles. Realized you could never use that as a song to a show or a name because the rights would be insanely expensive. Kind of pivoted as a working title to Terriers. They had a few more sessions, you know, hey, this is a working title. What's a better title? One proposed was Small Time Dicks, which is an amazing title. Uh, And basically, yeah, they just never landed on anything better or different than Terriers. Um, You know, uh, after the fact, people have gone on to say, you know, it is a fitting title because they're kind of little guys that are, they, you know, they hold on like terriers are a hunting dog. They kind of grab onto things. Uh, they're a little feisty. And that, so it actually does kind of fit after the fact. But where I'm going with this is the whole ambiguity of the title is one of the reasons why people think the show didn't do well and it was canceled. And I agree. I think it was because like straight up, that is a, re- I remember when the show came out and that's a reason I didn't look into it. I was like, Oh, Terriers. I saw some of the posters and whatnot. And it, I was just like, Oh, this just looks a little bit like a generic show. I had no clue what it was about based off the name. And look, I don't hate the name after watching it again. It is somewhat symbolic of them, but there's feels like there's something better out there in the world for it in terms yeah. of a name. And there also feels like at the very least their marketing tools, you know, their ads, their, their posters and billboards having like a dog on it. And stuff. it just, it doesn't make any sense. It just nothing. If, if it said terriers, but it sort of had like them with gun, like clearly showing that they're detect, like sort of these, these PIs that 
are looking into cases, but maybe somehow in the poster show that it's like a little more fun loving, like that would be better than like all the stuff they had. It just looked super, super generic in my eyes. Yeah. You mentioned the kind of ads that went up at least like in the major cities. And that definitely is part of it though. I do, I do feel like it's important to mention that yes, the marketing seems to have been an issue, but Part of that, I think, is because the show didn't know what it was, right? You can clearly see they're kind of writing it on the fly, mm-hmm. changing it, developing it into a much more stronger storyline. So if FX didn't know how to properly advertise it, and if anything, they were going more towards kind of a buddy cop procedural thing, I, that's kind of forgivable because nobody knew what it was going to become. True, true. And, but yeah, so it's like they, they clearly didn't fully know what to do with this title or how to market it. And it's too bad because it's, it's a good show and the critics honestly loved it. The critics all ate it up and it was on multiple, it was on time hit flicks or hit fix daily beast, AV club, all of those publications had terriers in their top 10 shows of 2010 ign straight up gave it a 10 out of 10 and it won best new series of 2010 um so it was very well received by the critics so it's like it just couldn't find its audience with the fact that nobody knew what it was yeah yes and and like we said, it just really, really picks up heat and sort of the last four episodes are all pretty great. And it it's works so much better as that type of show, in our opinion. Mm-hmm. And we, we we said it already, but it does really feel like, you know, one, that it's been recently when did everything from FX go on Hulu in May? Was it that recent? I thought it was maybe March in the anyway, States. It might really have been earlier. So anyway, okay. So, but sometime recently, you know, it did well when it was on Netflix, the, all the people that worked on the show love it and kind of look back on it fondly as the standard by which they're trying to live, like kind of reach up to, uh, at least in terms of working on shows in the future. And nobody on this show at least actor-wise, is incredibly busy. So it it does seem like there'd be room to reboot it. And, you know, it's it's happened. It's happened before. We've got Arrested Development back. We're getting Cologne High back. These things happen. Now we just need Jericho back and Terriers. God Um, damn it. We've already had Jericho back once, and it let me down big time. uh, We'll we'll get there in another podcast. But... Uh, I think we need to do our top five episodes. That, let's do it. You want to start this one off? Yes. So my number five is Agua Caliente. Uh, we talked about it there when we were doing it. It's so much action. It's so suspenseful. It, it really kind of pulls you in. Yes, it's a separate episode. It is just kind of the case of the week, but it's... For me, it really keeps you on the edge of your seat. You know, they're fucking, he's breaking out of jail. They're smuggling him back over the border. There's the gunfight at the end. The only reason why it's 
lower is because we said the end is kind of strange and I wish they could have made that work better with they basically forced the whole shootout thing and the story doesn't exactly match it so that's kind of why it landed at five but still a very exciting episode and there you have it folks my number five is episode five as well manifest destiny which I chose as part of my list because I thought it was a great episode. Like we had talked about earlier, episodes four and five sort of kickstart the show in the right direction. And five just had a lot of a lot of great aspects to it. It had, well, one, we had Ryan Johnson directing it, but we had the whole ordeal of Hank and Britt trying to get you know, um, trying to get Lindis's body in the car and then crashing the car and it being such a whole ordeal. And so that was funny. I really liked that aspect of it. And then, of course, the end, you know, we we meet Zeitlin in this episode. We get the elevator punch in the face in this episode. And we get the ending, which is a bit of a twist ending where we thought that everything's resolved, but no, through a little knowledge drop by Steph, that's not the case at all. So it has a lot. I like this episode. Well, you mentioned the little one, two bunch there. I'll I'll give you my number four, which was episode four. Fuster cluck for a lot of the reasons you just said. Wow. This is where we finally get back on track after a few, few episodes, not really pushing us forward. And shit just goes crazy. I mean, they get Lindis and he, he fucking dies. He in dies. The house. God damn. God fucking damn. Speaking of crazy episodes, my number four is Quid Pro Quo, which probably has the only ending more shocking than the ending of Fuster Cluck, which is with Jason and a couple other people dead in a fucking store. So I chose it. I mean, for that excitement, for the fact that it's the penultimate episode and I feel like it delivers, it really, the stakes are, are up up high. And, you know, I, I've already said this. I like this episode more than the finale. And I just think it's a great firing on all cylinders, getting us to the finish line episode. And big fan of it. Big fan. Think it leads into the finale very well. Well, my number three is Quid Pro Quo. So, there you go. Yeah. It, you may, I mean, it just gets crazier. And, and you know, Laura and, and Hank are uncovering some shit with the development. Britt has no idea what's going on. You know, he's kind of working both sides. Everything is chaos. Just when you think it was chaotic enough, boom, dead bodies. It's And, yeah, then the very, very end – Hank just gets some guns from his, his street source. You know, like, oh, fuck. Yeah. I'm ready. Ready for that finale. Shit's going down. You have good taste, my friend. Good taste in episodes. So far, so good. Um, my number three is Sins of the Past. Episode 11. Nice little flashback. I just think this episode's so well done. Honestly, it could it could even be my number two. It's but it's just such a great episode. It 
gives us all the background we've been looking for in a really exciting way. The twist at the end is just fantastic with, you know, the detective being the serial killer from all these years. The heart-to-heart with Hank and Gustafson's fantastic. It's just an all-around well-done, well-written, well-acted. You know, like we said, Hank really flexes the muscle, his little acting muscle in this one. It's, uh, well, Hank, I should say Donal, but it's just a great episode. Love this one. Well, my number two is Sins of the Past. Look at this trend. Look at this trend. This is crazy. This is not like our John Butler. Wow. Yeah, it's usually Um, not like this. Yeah, no, it's, it gives us all this background that we need. Donald fucking nails it. We talked about his performance is incredible. The The way the flashback is done, it, it's truly like expertly done how they just go from one shot seamlessly to the next while still building like a, it's, it's dealing in the past and the present and yet it's kind of told in a narrative way somehow, like it just delivers the storyline perfectly. And yeah, even just within this one episode, Stand alone, the the twist that they give you, they give you that little hint early on that like kind of makes you think, "Fuck, I should have known the whole time." Mm-hmm. It's just it's just great as like a even a one episode who done it, dude. Totally agree. And funny enough, with this little trend that's going on with you and me, my number two is your number four, Fuster Cluck. Oh wow! So we are just. We just clearly agree that the same episodes are the best episodes. Absolutely. And my reasoning would be everything you said. And I'll just add, again, this is when everything really kicks off into another gear. And I remember the excitement I had when watching the episode. So even maybe, maybe since the past, maybe I like more when I'm thinking about it right now, looking at my list, but Fuster Cluck really kicked the show into high gear for me. And I think that's why I have a very, a big fondness for it. And that's why it's my number two. Yeah. Well, love it. Love it. My number one, episode 10, Asunder. Me too. Incredible. Um, So much agreement here. I mean, we, I think we talked about this one, but I mean, this one has everything. It gives you, you know, first of all, we've got the tech guys. You know, we've got the development storyline moving forward, developing, if you want to say. Uh, you know, he's at the wedding. He's struggling with his addiction. We get that whole story. We get escalation of him in Zeitlin. We get Katie and Britt kind of coming to a head. Finally, this one. Yeah, it just has everything this episode. You couldn't. I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, it's got everything. It's the best episode. It clearly is. You and me both agree. So, sure. which we don't always do. And it's, it's, it's got everything. It's got everything. Kicks off that final run. What a nice top five. I can't, we shared four of our top five. We're That's the same. I, mean, I do want to say before we're done, special shout out to episode nine, Pimp Daddy. It would have been in my top five because I love the Michaela storyline so much, but the rest of the episode doesn't live up to it. So, it felt sad leaving it out, but I agree yeah, that couldn't in good conscience put it in. That would also be my honorable mention. Um, Big shout out to Shangela. That's that's what we're saying. Yeah, here. that's what we're saying. So you killed it. And I mean, wow, that was a great. 
a great dive into terriers. I, that's pretty much it for me. You got anything else? I think I think that's it. I think we really hit everything. You know, all, all I'll say is, you know, we all we just watched this show for the first time about a month ago. Um, it sat around. Don't don't make the same mistake. It's now there for you to see it on Hulu. Get out there, watch it, stick with it at least till episode four, and I think it'll pull you in. And if there is anything you can do to, you know, get a possibility of a season two, that's what we want. So watch it. Yes. Get those numbers up. And if if you've already seen it, I'm thinking most of you probably have if you're listening to this podcast, listening to all the spoilers. But if you have seen it, have this remind yourself, either take it, watch it again, get that viewership up or tell some friends to watch it. It's a great show. I don't. Most people would like this show, I think. So let's try to get either a season two or a movie out of this thing. That would be great. That would be that would be so money. Um, that's all I got, Mike. That's that's it. I think you know we gave you three top five lists. I'm sure you think we're wrong about everything. So reach out to us, Justin. How do people get to us? Hey, if you want to email us. You can get us at top fives and deep dives at gmail.com. If you want to check out our Instagram, it's just top fives and deep dives all spelled out. All right. I'm going to, I'm signing off. All right. Amazing. See you guys next time. See you next time. Peace guys. Shwiggy.